0: Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. It is 2022. It's great to be back. Happy New Year to everyone out there and Happy New Year, especially Jamie, to you. Happy New Year to you too, buddy. It's good to see your beautiful smiling face once again. Yours too. Uh, Thank you very much for being here. Unfortunately, Chris can't be with us because he is not feeling very well. There are uh, lots of stuff going around at the moment, as I'm sure everyone um, knows about, and we Mm. will do our traditional uh, sort of like welcome to the New Year style podcast when Chris is feeling a little bit better, hopefully that will be next week. But Jamie and I thought that we would, uh, you know, we'd get together and we'd have a chat about some games and we'd drop you some news and we'd have a little, um, you know, get together in this in this what is it, January the sixth? So um, big hopefully, time. Hopefully, hopefully this will keep you going until we get get that um, early sort of like welcome to the year proper full on super show podcast. Um, Jamie, I got quite a few games for Christmas and uh, <laughs> my birthday which also yeah. happened in that little holiday period. Um, and I know you did as well, so I'm looking forward to hearing about the games that you got like, a bit later That's on. That's the fucked up
1: thing about having like three weeks between podcast recordings and having so much time off work during that interim, is that all we do is play games and watch movies so that we come back here. Half this podcast is us going to be arguing about whether or not Metroid Dread is good. Let's be let's, <laughs> let's be upfront
0: about it. It, it probably will. And it's funny, is um, when I was thinking about doing the pod, and I was thinking like, that I just really want to talk to Jamie about what we thought about Metroid Dread. <laughs> like, um, we'll record it and we'll put yeah. it online for other people to watch. See, that, that's,
1: that's the whole smokescreen we, we run here, is that none of this is for the audience, it's all for us. This is our excuse to sit down and argue with friends. Whether or not people listen, I don't know, that's just a perk.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But, hey, as Jamie and I have a little discussion slash argument slash combo about what's good and what's bad and what we've been playing over the holiday season, Um, if you disagree with us or you agree with us or you just like to have a chat with us you can reach out to us at on youtube and twitter at super show pod and also if you're watching this um on one of those platforms in video form you can also check us out on uh podcast only platforms i'm talking spotify itunes google podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts really we are ubiquitous um we spread ourselves Mm. very thin all over the shop um but if you want a little special treat and you want to uh, get like an old school vibe when you listen to us, you can also hear us at paisleyradio.com because we are live on Thursdays at 10pm and it repeats on Mondays at 10pm. So um, we're pretty much everywhere. You can get us um, all the time, whenever you want. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, if it's your first time, we are kind of a gaming podcast, aren't we? We try to stay on course, but sometimes mm. we sort of uh, lose our way a little bit and we just start talking about random stuff. Um, It happens. happens. It happens. It happens a lot, but it's fun, so we do it. Um, Jamie, I'd like to go straight in with a comment of the week, because I think um, oh, fuck, that yeah. might set us up for the rest of the show. Let's this do it. comes in from, I don't know how to say this, Damnate Cockburn. That's one damn of those I names. Ha- ha- oh, I've Damn been, I Hate. Uh,
1: no, damn. see, I that's one of those names that I've been reading for years,
0: and I've never said it out loud, so I'm just going to leave that one to you. Damnate. Damn they hate Cockburn. <laughs> I reckon it's damn I hate Cockburn or something like that. I mean, anyway, I, I would
1: hate Cockburn too were a regular feature of my life.
0: Yeah, that's not like, it's not something anyone's going to lo- like. Oh no, okay, I'm not kink shaming. Maybe some people like
1: but it. But hang on a second, is Cockburn like carpet burn on your cock? Is that like going down a slide cock first and
0: having your skin I was think- up? I was thinking of it more like just a random burning sensation. Like maybe non oh. Maybe a chilli sauce on the hand. You didn't wash okay, Italy. see,
1: yeah. Now we're talking about chili sauce getting in the chaps area. I, I don't like that. Oh, I know whatsoever.
0: You are a rugby boy, as I was back in the day. <laughs> and what are you about to say about my penis? <laughs> there was always the horror story, uh maybe this is like an apocryphal tale that stopped people from doing it. But every single season, um, we share, all shared the same story, which was: um, make sure after you've put the deep heat all over your legs to keep your keep your legs nice and warm in the winter to wash your hands well, because there was always one boy oh. last year who didn't wash his hands properly and went to the toilet and you could hear the screams from the car.
1: Yeah. That's I why know. I was always more of a deep freeze man when I could manage. Because that was just a spray in a can. Much more preferable. And right. much harder to freeze your cock.
0: <laughs> yes. No pun intended. That, but the deep heat was like... you, Yeah, because you. it was like a gel. That it was, the, it it was a,
1: exactly, yeah.
0: You rub it all over. It's, it's really bad for you as well, apparently, because it's it brings the... I don't know. This probably isn't true. People always said what it actually does is bring the blood to the surface of your skin so you feel warmer, but actually it cools you down. So you should. Oh,
1: right. Is that like how, when you want to cool down, you should take a hot shower? Like the reverse psychology kind of thing?
0: I don't know. I don't really. I don't. I don't. Because I, well, I suppose when you're cold, your blood vessels on the outside constrict in order to conserve heat and keep it inside because you don't yeah. want your blood going to the surface because then you obviously you know, you're going to lose heat. And I think the idea is that if you use deep heat, it puts the blood to the surface mm. so that the cold weather takes more of your heat away so you actually get colder in the long run.
1: Weird. I'd see, I, I, did, don't know. I did some Googling around this stuff because one of the reasons I used to hate going to the gym, and I know it's hard to believe that someone like me ever went, but it was going to the gym... Doing a good workout, getting kind of hot because that's what happens. You get in a cold shower because you think I need to cool off, and yes. then I'm out. And by the time I'm getting dressed again, my body temperature is still sky high, and I'm sweating new sweat as I'm like right. putting my socks on, and I'm like, "Fuck
0: this!" I see. I did. I used to do the same thing. I used to think I'm really hot. I'll take a tepid shower, but you're absolutely right. It's the worst thing you can do because then it kind of makes, I guess, all your pores, your blood vessels shrink a bit, and then you get like really hot on the inside. Yeah. And then 20 minutes later, yeah, you're right. You're sweating buckets. Like it's mental. I hate oh, it. it. Work. Hot, go, I reckon hot shower. That's what you need to do, and then just take your time. Don't rush. Yeah. Up. Taking your time is the big one. Ease out of that hole.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to end that sentence on hole. No. Ease okay. out of the hole. Just plop.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's get to this uh comment from Cockburn. He says you guys got to release at least one of these gems a month. They really are incredibly fun to both hear and watch. I'm hoping that Outside Super Show Life allows you guys time to get together for some more brilliant voiceovers in 2022. Happy New Year to everyone. And he was of course alluding to um a few old school ATG style six-list videos that we put out over the uh over December. Um we did um Most memorable songs in games, worst things to happen in gaming this year, and the best games of 2021. So if you haven't watched any of those videos, head over to the YouTube channel, um, check them all out. They're only about like 10 minutes, 13 minutes long, something like that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, and enjoy some listicle voiceover gold. Yeah,
1: and a gold that hopefully we do get a chance to... To come back to, I liked that Mr. Cockburn specifically made mention of outside Super Show life allowing us the time to get together for voiceovers because that is genuinely probably one of, if not the biggest roadblocks to getting things like that done. Is can we all meet up and get together? Can we record when we've recorded? How are we editing and who's editing? Um But we'll see. Yeah, because
0: we don't. Because this is the thing. Because when we record these, obviously these are remote. But when we do the uh, the voiceover stuff, we like to get together and do it together. And last time you guys oh, yeah. came to my gaff. And I live like 30 miles away from you both, so it's like quite a journey for you to travel. And it, yeah, yeah, it does. We have, to, we have to like make all that stuff work. So um, hopefully, though, we will get a chance to do it again in the very near future, because I don't know about you, but I had a lot of fun doing it, Jamie, So It was
1: fun. It was fun. I think I said it like in previous weeks, even listening back to our recordings as we were editing those videos and editing the voiceover specifically, there's a lot of fun to be had in that process. I'm glad we did it. And Me uh, too. Hope people got a kick out of it.
0: And one of, the re- one of the reasons we actually did it was because we wanted to give something back to our awesome fans and especially our awesome Patreons, uh, patrons, I was getting that wrong, who support us over at patreon.com forward slash Show? Um, and this is a great time to give a shout out to some of the people right now, so you'll see some names on screen. Um, but I'd also like to give a shout out to Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Dark Silhouette, episode 85, 33 minutes, 20 seconds. It took 15 weeks for someone to get the joke. Thank you, Peter. Yes, Bekamdo, Nielsen, Chavela Cujo, Mindful Pig, Anthropic, Mr. Anthropic, Nathan Piers, Pastors Guild, Scary Omen, Starfall Kid, and the big dogs. They are Brett Z, Doppler, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book, Reed, Ma- Manuel, Manly Manscaped Man, Guerrero, Peaswad, and the Uncaged. Thank you so much to all of our patrons for supporting us for um, getting us through another year of being able to do this. Uh, yes. Long may it continue.
1: Thank you very much. Jonesy, have you contracted COVID since we've started this podcast? Since we've started I ha- recording? I haven't, why? Just your throat sounded a bit raspy there. I couldn't try... It couldn't is tell. a little bit. I thought you were trying to maybe do a sexy thing, especially for the patrons. Either that, or Omicron has infested your household just in the last, like, 15 minutes.
0: <laughs> no, I think it's just, um, you know, it's these uh, late nights over the uh, holidays and stuff finally getting to me. And like as I told you before, this I had a little cheeky little nap before um, we did this, Un- unintentional cheeky nap. Yeah. But,
1: um, Wait, so genuine question: Do you tend to lose sleep over the festive period, based oh, on regular Lord schedule?
0: Yeah. Really? Oh yes, yes, absolutely. Because the problem is, because I've got kids, young kids that always wake up at a certain time, right? So they're always up at like half past seven every day, and then over Christmas, like I want to say, Christmas night, we were wrapping presents, my wife and I, until about half past three and then the kids still woke and then the kids woke up at half past six because they were really excited yeah so then that's obviously three hours sleep that we got would destroyed for christmas day Uh, and then but then it happened it happened a few times after that as well because then we had like you know you stay up you have a few drinks and then chat to people you go out whatever whatever and like i said it was it's like christmas my birthday, New Year's—it's it's like bam, bam, bam.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess for your family, it is one thing after another, and lots of reasons yeah. to celebrate. Yeah,
0: I'd say, so, um, yeah, it can, uh, it can be a, a tiring time.
1: I, I have a very different experience because. Um, I, my family is kind of like split in half, but they are also quite isolated in that my wider family never really gets brought into the proceedings. And I also have a situation where neither side of my family, for different reasons, drink at all. So my Christmas and New Year's is entirely sober and in, like and very low-key. And on the one half of the family, the overwhelming majority of the people who are there are young children who have to go to bed like before midnight anyway. So right. not only do I gain and, you know, claw back a dramatic amount of sleep over this period, but do you want to know the other fucked up thing in weighing myself around like mid sort of like maybe two thirds of the way through December and weighing myself like two days ago, I lost about eight pounds, more than half a stone over the festive wow. period. Do you know why? Because I go back how? to my parents' house, and all of a sudden, I'm not eating, like, Domino's and Monster and, and energy <laughs> drinks. I'm eating food. Like, because even on Christmas Day, like, the idea of my mum cooking, like, a chicken or potatoes or vegetables, and she makes me vegetables. It's, like, the most nutrients that I, my body's you. had in months. What, so my body's, my body's like, hang on a second, we're eating regular meals at regular times, <laughs> and it's all actual produce.
0: So I just did, your mom, did your mum get you to eat a Brussels?
1: Not a Brussels sprout. I have choice of vegetables, but I have to eat vegetables. I think over the last two weeks, I've eaten peas, I've eaten carrots, I've eaten broccoli. Uh, I've eaten sweet I corn. love that
0: your mum treats you how I treat my toddler. <laughs> I never got anything you, you have to eat one of them. You don't have to eat all oh. of them. You can pick, but you have to eat.
1: She, I think she thinks that I mean that she still has a toddler because uh, <laughs> jumping ahead a little bit, uh, not going to start the discussion now, but we've already hinted at the, the, the fact that Jonesy and I have both played some Metro Dread over the past couple of weeks. I asked my mum for Metro Dread because, again, even at the age of 28, I'm not above asking for Christmas presents. Um that are just video games. And I don't know if you, uh, I don't know who got you Metroid Dread or where they got it from or if there were like stock issues. It was my mum. There you go, perfect. But my mum had difficulty getting it. Apparently it was something to do with like, there was a version on Amazon that was going in and out of stock and the one that was there seemed like it was German. as She wasn't sure. So she went to Game, which is a (laughs) UK video game retail establishment. Um, And if you'll allow me to back away from the mic for one second, I apologize (laughs) for the... uh, The the gap in the audio, but she got me this. This is the size of the copy of Metroid Dread that I got. And like, there's nothing in there that's like of any real value. I've only just played the game, but like, it's for anyone that can't see, it's like it's
0: bigger than my head. As a comparison of the size of the game cartridge to the size of the box. Well,
1: that's the thing. The first thing I did when I got home from my mum's is I opened that massive thing. I took just
0: the cartridge out, put it in my case where I keep all the cartridges and got on with my life. Please tell me that they've like affixed the game cartridge right in the middle of that big old box.
1: No, so there was actually a sealed copy of the game in that box that was in there. There's a steel book. And like some fucking postcards, you know, the usual shit they put in there. But yeah. Right. Imagine what it was like. Again, you're surrounded. Because my brother's 25 and he's like an adult. He's getting like socks and cologne and a shirt. And and I'm just sat next to him opening the world's biggest Metroid dread. And then my <laughs> uncle was there and he asked me if it was Meccano. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is going so is wrong. It
0: Meccano. That's great. To <laughs> so me, the only way I ask for that sort of stuff from Wyatt for people. Because I'm like, there's nothing else. If I want anything else, I'd, just, I'd get it for myself. So it's just I, when people say what do you want, it's like it's an easy thing to say. Oh, I'll have this. But I will say it's getting tricky nowadays because um, you can't let you know, a lot. I can't really say. Oh yeah, if you get me a game because games are like seventy quid. If you, it's true places, actually, it's true. So I think next Christmas will be the first Christmas when I don't ask for any games because it would just be too out of order to kind of say. Yeah, I'd love a couple of games, but um, yeah, I did, uh, My mum did the great thing of, so I said i had i'd asked for a call of duty vanguard well, mm. uh and it's a great my, christmas game
1: it's a great christmas for mum game
0: well my, my wife got it for me for christmas and she told my mum oh i don't get it because i've got him call of duty but then my mum, or she said i've got him vanguard and then my mum went and bought me call of duty <laughs> not realizing that and then what i actually said to her like after like, oh thanks so much um i actually already got it so if you um uh, can I return it and like get something else? And she's like, "Oh, you, why? Oh, what, it, what was it? I got you that you already had." I said, "Oh, Vanguard." And she was like, "What's that?" And I was uh, "Call of Duty." And she was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Basically, it always reminds me of the thing with the advert with the mum who goes into the game and is like, um, "Is it PlayStation 5? No, he's got an egg box. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that happened to, again. Happened to my brothers this year. They got a Series X for Christmas, and nice. um, funny messaging my dad in a, like it a, in a panic. On Christmas Eve, like what, what? What's the difference between the S and the X? What do you mean it doesn't have a disc drive?
0: <laughs> yeah, what do I buy for them? Yeah, literally. Ah, uh, see, um, that is these are the, these are the problems that people have to deal with, you know, as they get older and, and the gaming industry starts to become a little bit more um uh, inaccessible. But Jamie, yeah, there are some older people who are not finding things inaccessible and are still finding them very accessible. I'm talking about. Keanu Reeves <laughs> and carrie Ann Moss. I was wondering where you are going with that. Okay, yeah. Because you and I both watched The Matrix Resurrections as well in the little um, uh, break that we've had from podcasting. Um, like we said, we've both also played uh, Metroid Dread. So I'll tell you what, here we go. Why don't you quickly kick us off with what you've been doing by talking about the other things and then we okay. can both have a chat about Matrix and uh, Metroid Dread.
1: I will say that... Um... Speaking of movies, I did manage to go out and see Spider-Man um, because I was so paranoid about that being spoilt for me in one form or another that I was like, I just have to go and see it. Have you seen it yet? I have not seen it. Okay, so no. you haven't seen it. I think Chris has, but obviously he's not here. So maybe that's one. If we do have a solid chat about that, we give it another week. And then that means... Oh, we won't spoil anything when we do talk about it, but just let everyone get on the same page. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to a game that was actually one of the first games I played after christmas but was actually something i bought myself and that's ready or not which i picked up on steam currently in early access um just one of these games that i i opened up the steam store um having seen someone screaming i was like what the hell is this and i looked at it it was like this is a game that i've been wanting for fucking years this is the game i've been asking for as someone that's been eyeing up the version of swat 4 that's on uh gog for god knows how many years so ready or not is basically a first person tactical shooter that is a something of a spiritual successor to the swat series so it's you know it's you know don't think of it like rainbow six siege It is pve it's setting up different scenarios on different maps um, and it's a co-op experience uh, steph murphy um, friend of the podcast kindly joined me on my first excursions into the game um, and i really like it even for something that's early access it's not that rough it's pretty well featured it had all the things that kind of get me giddy about these kind of experiences whether it's you know the kind of choices you have in your loadout and the way you customize your loadout whether it's the nature of the maps like there's one that's just a very simple hey this is a slightly run down house that kind of looks like it could have been a drug den like that's my dream map for these kind of games and that slow kind of tactical consideration of, like, we're going to move really slowly. We're going to go door by door. Like, we did it. Steph and I did a setup where he had one of these mirror guns that could see um, underneath uh, doorways to see if there's anyone on the other side. And I had, like, a, a big riot shield, so I would go in first. And I had a taser as my secondary, so I could tase people. And we went just... It seems like it's going to be really fun, assuming they support this game over the years to kind of use different combinations of tools and you know people filling out different roles within that SWAT style outfit um, uh, to try and come up, overcome these very intriguing challenges. It's just my kind of game. It's just my. It's kind a of game.
0: game series that I that, or style sorry that I've always wanted to be able to play and be good at, but I have never <laughs> been able to do. Like I'm so, I'm just too um, impatient. I don't have the I <laughs> like the I don't know what the word is I don't have the um like the wherewithal I don't I'm not with it enough to kind of go okay I'm going to plan out this I'm going to do this I'm going to I'm going to carefully progress I'm going to I'm going to do these things I should do I'm much too gung ho when it comes to this sort of thing yeah. is it is it a game that you cannot be gung ho in that you, you cannot be gung
1: ho you die unbelievably quickly <laughs> um right. and there's nothing you can do once you're dead but spectate your um your teammates until they're dead too Um, No matter how long the mission is, it's very focused on like, you know, this is the shit you're going to do and you're going to do it right. It's quite a strict game in that sense. Not strict in terms of how you want to approach things and how you want to customize the way you want to complete a certain objective or approach a certain scenario, but strict in terms of like, no, they're a very real failure kind of um, sort of criteria. And if you fail, you fail. And Steph and I failed a lot, (laughs)
0: surprisingly. I think this is a game I'd quite enjoy watching. Um, watching people stream, um, yes, to enjoy it that way. Because especially for someone who's like no, who's a bit more considered, knows what they're doing. Da 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 da. Like I could I'm sure I could watch you play it. I, you said Steph, and I did think Steph Murphy, who runs away at every opportunity and doesn't keep you, doesn't keep you informed, doesn't tell you what he's doing.
1: Yeah, there but, wasn't too much of that. Luckily, I think when it's just me and Steph. Um, and he knows that because there's no one listening or not live streaming or anything. I'll get angry at him if I need to. I think he kind of <laughs> he, he was well behaved.
0: Um, okay,
1: cool. we didn't have any fights. <laughs> That's um, good. To hear. Real fights all virtual? Um, I was I was hoping to try and convince you to buy it. I was hoping this was going to be like another random chorus situation where I just come on the podcast talk about a game and you bought it half an hour later. But I don't think it's going that direction at the moment.
0: I'll, I'll have to um, have a look at it and see what it looks like, but yeah, it sounds like something that I would just be absolutely yeah. terrible at. That's fair enough.
1: Um, the, the other thing I played though, um, and this is just as much not your cup of tea, but um, but in a completely different for completely different reasons, um, I actually finished uh, Life is Strange: True Colors today. Uh, which oh, okay,
0: you finished it? Okay, that's cool.
1: Didn't yeah, you? I finished it. Well, because I, I remember when we would when it came up a couple of times. Uh, before the end of the year, I always felt like you were surprised that I hadn't played it yet. Um, yeah, I'm for glad sure. I ticked it off the list. Do you know what? Um, I was talking to you boys the other day, because there was a similar overlap with Metro Dread, about how I have this thing at the start of the year where I'm kind of... You get very like introspective, don't you? You, know, you start thinking about, you know, yeah. oh, New Year, how old am I going to be this year, and what am I going to do, and all this kind of stuff. And... I was finding lots of different pieces of media whether they were films or TV shows or games that I was trying to in- interact with in that time a bit impenetrable like everything was like I was being hyper analytical and and sort of a bit cynical about everything I was playing not just seeing things for what they were and kind of like breaking them down in a way that wasn't particularly helpful that happened with Spider-Man um and it kind of started happening with Life is Strange where I booted up the game and played that first chapter and this is all the game now is all uh you delivered at once um right. Right, as Not opposed episodic, to being episodic right. like it yeah. used to be even though it still kind of feels like maybe it should be episodic but that's a probably a bigger conversation
0: i've like i have I've only played a little bit of life is strange and i haven't played like um true colors but i feel like the episodic nature is a good idea with this sort of game because it means that you can attack it in chunks rather mm. than trying to sit down and... Exactly. A, it can be a bit of an emotional slog as well, right? And it's a very, like... It's,
1: it's an emotional slog, and also, like, a, from a gameplay, there's not that many mechanics in a Life of a Strange right. game, you know? You're looking at objects and hearing a bit of voiceover as like, she goes, oh, right, that's a picture of my family. I
0: wonder how they're doing. You know? It's more like you're you're living the story of the characters, right? And you're trying to get your way through that and yeah. experience it.
1: And that stuff rubbed up against me in a, in a bad way early on, as well as a few other kind of nitpicky things that I had, like... This is set... So for anyone that doesn't know, you play as um, uh, a, a character called Alex Chen who um, goes li- li- has been in like child protective services and different uh, organisations like that uh, for basically m- the majority or at least the recent part of her childhood and is now finally going out on her own and is going to go and live with and sort of reunite with her older brother who she hasn't seen for eight years um, who now lives in this sort of like very quaint... Uh, mining town in Colorado, and you get there, and it's just everything. And I'm not saying that Life is Strange has ever been, you know, like gritty or real, but everything's like really picturesque, and every single person has like dashing model good looks and yet their personalities are this sort of like weird mix of charm and quirky and they've got a sense of humor and there's like an independent record store and every single person in the town owns a vinyl player and there's <laughs> you know independent radio stations that just play indie rock and it's like what the fuck have i like rolled up on and even in the life of strange season one high school setting they were able to say like these are the bullies and these are the like the preppy right. rich kids and these are like the rejects and these are the nerds and like those archetypes and there's no real archetypes in in the town that true colors is set in and it kind of just felt like a like a twin peaks populated by hipsters where but, but where everyone loves each other and nothing really ever goes that wrong
0: Right, is, is it almost like Hips to Heaven? Like yeah, like this, uh... it's Hips to Heaven. And then, but then the
1: problem is, it's Hips to Heaven that you arrive at, and immediately, because it's a video game, within 45 minutes something goes horribly, drastically, like right. uncontrollably wrong. Um, because the game needs a plot. Um, and I was like, oh god, this all feels a bit heavy-handed and a bit like... I don't know, nothing was sticking. Everything was just like rolling off me. Um, and... The more I stuck with it, and the more I went back to it, the more I enjoyed it, because you do get to uh, come to terms with those characters and get more familiar with those characters, and it does love it or loathe it. It does that very life is strange thing of like, oh, the overarching story here is kind of like a young adult detective story investigating the mysterious death of this individual, but also, like, we're going to talk about depression and anxiety, we're going to talk about you know mental health, and we're going to talk about the pros and cons of medication to deal with mental health problems. We're going to deal. We're going to talk about the the U.S. foster care system, and we're going to talk about the legalization of marijuana. And we're going to it, like it goes. It go just every right. single like hot topic of the century. It, it's got something to say on. And sometimes they're trying, it's to, they're trying to pump
0: the, all that stuff into it into the game, which is, I can imagine how that if you try and cover too much, because often I suppose the way that games do it works well, quite well in when it's woven into the narrative. And you can just like enjoy it as part of the game. But if you're trying to put too much of that stuff into a game, you get to a weird place where it comes too quick fire, and it feels like they're just trying to tack on subjects and try and like, yeah. add messaging to games. So, like maybe it kind of ruins the story. There,
1: there are definitely moments where it's like, oh wow, you felt like you had to say like one of the examples, and it sounds like I'm picking on it. It's not. It's just genuinely one of the most egregious examples. It's like, oh, the writers felt like they needed to say something about you know trans people and so right. there's a like throwaway it's not even a throwaway line it's a throwaway voicemail from a trans character who in their one line of dialogue in the entire 10-hour game mentions the fact that they're trans and it's not saying that that's like it just felt it, it, it felt like a little that's bit almost like, worse i know it, but that just, is
0: almost worse right because at least if you had a character who was then that's fine that's like a character in the game it kind of makes sense that i imagine there's no reason in the game that you couldn't have like any number of characters who are. Exactly. But then to have one character phone up on a voicemail and leave a voicemail, it seems just tacked on. Yeah. And there's a weird sense when companies do that, because you think about developers, you know, they're still companies right at the end of the day. There does have a little bit of a weird thing of like, are they just including this so they can say, hey, look, we're one of the good guys. We've included that in our game. And you're like, have you though? Or if you just put it in there so that people don't <laughs> moan about it- you. It it goes, it, you know, it
1: toes the line very, uh, I wasn't going to say carefully. It, it does sometimes give you the feeling of, okay, the Life is Strange developers had a checklist of, you know, topics that needed a light shone on them in one way or another. It's right. just, it's more effective
0: in some places than others. And there are also, also cases of like, is there a random neighbor who's like a, Starts to just hear like gunfire, and then you have to like rush out, and then there's some weird thing where like guns are bad, and he's, he accidentally no, shoots himself. No, so what? There's the there's
1: actually considering that the you know guns and gun ownership, like there are characters in the game who own gun in the game that owns a gun, but there's no gun ownership um kind of commentary at all. all. Um, right. There's also almost zero race commentary for what like that. So there are big things okay. that they didn't touch on. Um, there is there are like there are prominent um uh you know conversations about and even choices from a gameplay term about sexuality but it's never again an explicit topic that the characters discuss so some things like a and there's also like an interesting thing where they combine like a difficult or touchy subject with choices um like for example there's a thing very early on where a character passes away and they have a wake and there's a character in the town who has, um, it seems like, is in the early stages of suffering from dementia, and she misses the wait because she doesn't remember this person has died. And you have to choose, do tell them or not. Like, right. do tell them that, that, not only have that they've forgotten this person had died, but they they didn't go to the funeral because they just forgot. Oh, okay. And, like, weird stuff like that. And, like, another t- um, story beat that I just didn't see coming that was, like, and it's kind of, like, like, raw, but it probably happens, like, what happens when a parent comes to terms with the fact that, for one reason or another, they hate their child, like an <laughs> infant child? No, seriously, like oh wow, it's not, they can't help it, but because of the things that that child is involved in and what the the involved uh, they're an infant.
0: What can they be involved in?
1: One, well, not intentionally, but he's but, in a gang
0: at a nursery. He's in a, he's in a gang. No, like, like a
1: a child creating a series of events that ends in something tragic. And the parent not being able to remove their child from the fact that they were the catalyst for a series of events that ended in something tragic, and that almost almost like the pain of that tragedy outweighing their love for that child I don't know if oh, that makes okay. sense right. Uh, it would be spoilers to expand on it, but like there were moments like that where you're like, "Whoa, um, yeah, I can imagine it, it's good, I liked it, I liked it. I genuinely liked it by the end it's." So got you could,
0: I think also- midpoint when you we I asked you about it. You said you were you were feeling like you said you were feeling quite critical about it. You weren't thinking it was uh, you yeah. Was, you weren't feeling that positive about it. But to hear that you finished it and you you think it's good is maybe um you've you've put some of that new year woe behind you.
1: Yeah, I th- I, I think I have, and I think the characters helped. Like there is there is going to be a bit of a stockholm syndrome effect with a life is strange game you're going to spend character time around characters like them and want to spend more time with them and like you get into weird things of like wanting the best for them and like making decisions for them even though they're fucking virtual characters whose lives end when your time with the game ends but there was some effective stuff there were people I liked there were story twists that I liked there were story twists I didn't like they did the classic Hey, it's the penultimate episode of this Life is Strange game. We need to do a big twist now moment. Um, right. And I didn't see it coming, but still, it was like, oh, one of these again. It was better than the one in the first Life is Strange, but yeah. I liked it, though. I liked it. I did like it.
0: I need to, at some point, I need to go back and uh, at least try and get into the series because I do feel like it's a series I've missed out on, but I. <laughs> I, I tried originally with the, with the episodic ones and I was just, I, yeah, I, I just got bored really. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with the games, it, like say the gameplay, the mechanics and the nature of the game, I just found it a little bit like, there was nothing making me want to go back and just turn yeah. that game on.
1: I think that this game suffers from the, the fact that, I think the boredom is arguably exacerbated because there's not even like a point where the episode ends and you wait for the next one to come out. Right. It just keeps going.
0: You've got, I suppose you've got to play it enough that it gets it's hooked yeah. into you like a series. And that's why the episodic kind of thing works for it, because then you might find yourself going, "I wonder what happens next in the story." Yeah. But if it's just a chunk, a big game, then you'd might not, you know, it might not hook you enough because obviously episodes are built in a certain way to have a structure so that they have like a uh, maybe a cliffhanger at the end, maybe something that we want to find out in the next episode. But it's just one whole game, because you can choose when to turn it off, they they do
1: still do that. They do still do chapters with like cliffhangers and title cards, but it just feels there's nothing. It just rolls on. It feels oh, okay. like there should be a harder stop there.
0: You should, fair, you should make yourself a turn it off.
1: It does do one of those menus where it's like, oh, here's the choices you made compared to the rest of the world. Um, right. Oh, cool.
0: You be- oh, is it, do you get? A, do you have the option to take a selfie at the funeral? <laughs> like with the, with the casket in the background?
1: No, you, or you, don't in the get, bathroom.
0: you don't get an option. I'm
1: trying to think. Do you, you don't really get to do anything that fucked up because your character that you play as is very... Uh let's say mild mannered um right troubled and sort of slowly coming out of their shell. I didn't mention that the the sort of supernatural ability in this game is that your character is an empath and can read the emotions of other people um and <laughs> yeah exactly, and if they feel those emotions or feel those feelings strongly enough, then the character can kind of take those feelings on themselves and eventually gets to the point where they can control those feelings and use it to see why people are feeling the way they're feeling.
0: Okay, okay, I get yeah.
1: But in the early stages, it is a little bit like, hang on a second, like, my special... Like, in the first Life is Strange, I was rewinding time and seeing how things play out differently. Now it's just like, oh, my God, that crying lady's sad. I should talk to her.
0: I can feel her blues. <laughs> I want to I feel her blues and find out why she's blue. Yeah, you, yeah, you that- feel
1: some blues, all right?
0: I, but I can imagine, I bet.
1: Yeah. Anyway, Life is Strange, True Colors. It's like a 7 out of 10. In video, ga- <laughs> in video game media terms, it's like a 7 out of 10. Ah,
0: right. Did you see what I no, said? That's, it's a 7 out
1: really yeah, I read that conversation on Discord, <laughs> so I was like, wanted to clarify. That's an IGN 7 out of 10.
0: Right. Okay, cool. Okay, so should we. Uh, let's talk, Okay, right. What should we do first? <laughs> Matrix or Metroid Dread? <laughs> I don't know, because we're going to be here all night. No,
1: we won't, actually. i would take that back. I don't want to put anyone off.
0: We've just talked about a game. We did a movie, then a game, then a game. Let's do a movie and then okay. come back to game. You so, start us off Ma- this
1: time because I've spoken for about three hours.
0: <laughs> the Matrix resolution, uh, the resolutions, resurrections, um, of course, came out twenty uh, second of December. Um, I, think, I can't remember when I would see it just before Christmas. Um, this is a weird, this is an interesting one because I have a thing that if if a lot of people are saying something is bad. And okay, this isn't the thing that you and Chris accuse me of, whereby if some people say something's bad, I say it's good just to be difficult. But I do find that my expectations are affected by, if people say something's really bad and then I go and see it and it's not as bad as I, as I was thinking they meant it was, it makes me enjoy it more because my expectations are lower.
1: Okay. and if someone says,
0: And if someone says something's really good, and then I see it and I don't think it's that good. I kind of get annoyed because I was, th- I was led to believe it was fantastic. And then I see it and I was like, can't believe I was lied to. And then I feel like it ruins my enjoyment of that thing a little bit. Um, yeah. I don't know how much of that happened to me in The Matrix, but I, I was going to say I thoroughly enjoyed The Matrix. I, mm-hmm. I think I will stick with that. I thought it was... Um, it's it's an interesting one because i think in the same way that metroid fans and i won't sort of you know spoil it by talking about it too much now in the same way that i think metroid fans have said a lot of good things about metroid dread because i think in part it's a metroid game i think that having seen the matrix films you know my whole life and growing up with them and um and really being into it at the time this for me was a really nice cap on the matrix trilogy because i did not i really enjoyed the first film I thought the second film was pretty good, but you know was a little bit let down with it. I didn't really like the third one, and there's a whole there's a whole scenes in the third one that I just kind of really didn't like. Even in the second one, I I thought there was some stuff that kind of really put me off. Um, this film, it felt like they they did some really cool self referential stuff. They they mm-hmm. almost, which is super interesting. You can see where all the conspiracy theories came out about what was going on in this movie. Because they kind, it's kind of like everyone was right. I don't know. Ru- I'm not going to ruin. It. We were right in the wrong way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I'm not going to try. I'm not going to spoil the film for people here. But um, a lot of those conspiracy theories weren't wrong. They weren't right, but they were they were interestingly kind of wrong and right. Um, but yeah, the fact that it can sort of look back at the original, uh, the original movie, like the first one, which is something I enjoyed as well. They kind of they didn't like delve too much into the second and third films. I felt there was more like uh it felt like that when well, they they did but there was felt like when they sort of really looked back and showed scenes of and stuff a lot of it was from the first film which i appreciated um mm. or they had little like shout backs um that having been said and the, and me liking it there were some things that i did think were kind of odd and didn't really hit with me like the whole agent smith thing was um morpheus agent smith thing was kind of weird
1: Mm.
0: so not okay i I don't try not to ruin it
1: yeah but, yeah no, no it's difficult
0: yeah the, the the morpheus character is not morpheus um, but is yes. morpheus i kind of felt that was really odd and how that kind of is linked to the agent smith thing was, was weird <laughs> okay, i also yeah. didn't like the fact that when look, looking back on it i can't pick out scenes that i'm like oh my god that was amazing um no that totally I,
1: that yeah yeah
0: and I want to say that they, even in the film itself, they talk about the fact of, of peop, of what is the Matrix to people, and they reference, you know, is it an action? Is it philosophy? Is it this? Is it that? Which I thought was really interesting because there were all those um, discussions at the time. And coming out of this film, I kind of I was like, what do I? What did I want from it? Did I want another Matrix where it was all action and exciting and kind of like okay. kicking people's asses and stuff? Did I want, uh? all the philosophy and I, I definitely came down on the side that I was happy with what they did and I liked the fact that they made a movie which I enjoyed and I thought was a good finish to a quadrilogy because I didn't like where the third one ended
1: specifically where it ended that like, stream aud- of consciousness
0: aud- aside okay. What, did, what are your thoughts Specific. So, sorry uh, <sighs> no like I didn't it felt like another cliffhanger um, oh I see like, well yeah I mean if, with some okay. kind of putting a there's well,
1: okay, well, yeah, we can't we need I mean uh, yeah, I can't say anything, but you yeah, <laughs> know I'm just getting questions that I have to ask you when we're done recording now, um, fair enough, I don't really disagree with you though, I think you and I are kind of aligned, um it's a weird one where I know this has only had a couple of weeks to breathe, whereas the thing I'm about to reference has had now over a year to breathe over two, in fact, but I feel like the Matrix Resurrections is kind of becoming my movie death stranding where. In the (laughs) run-up to it, I was eating up all the trailers and all the information because I went into it knowing because of what it is and who's involved, I just don't care. And I can remember when (laughs) you, me, and Chris were having an argument about John Wick 4 versus The Matrix 4, I said to you guys, the worst Matrix film ever made, like a Matrix film that gets a 15 on Metacritic, is more interesting to me than any John Wick film because it's a Matrix film. Um and that's the same with Kojima. If Kojima makes the worst game of all time, like I'm, I'm buying it day one. Yep. because that's fascinating. Um, and but the, but the reverse, but the, it's all, but it also like flipped in some respects because with Death Stranding, Kojima's bullshit weighed it down in a lot of ways. Like the moment to moment writing right. some of the character stuff wasn't good, and then when his bullshit sort of like gave way to a pretty interesting open world game, I liked it. The Matrix is kind of the reverse which is I liked their metatextual like self-referential nostalgic you know stuff a lot mm. um and then when it gave way to a film that had to be a film I was like oh like did we yes. really did we really just have to like we just had like fun for 45 minutes did we really just have to put like a finish line on this film and start hurtling towards it just for the sake of this being a movie um even even the finish line they create doesn't necessarily make sense to me, even as I reflect on it, like but for 45 minutes, I was like, this, this is incredible." Um, yes, I, just, didn't, I, I didn't, I agree, I didn't yeah. think they' do that, and I didn't think they do it the way they do it. And at times even the lines, there are lines of dialogue, like one I specifically remember, that are so explicit. That I was like, how the fuck did they get away with this? Like, let, I'll, I'll say it, I'll say it what it is. There's a specific line that mentions the company Warner Brothers in a completely <laughs> yeah. different context. And I was like, how are they, what are they doing?
0: Like, what is going on? And then that's, once. I, lo- I, loved, I loved all of that. And it yeah. then it makes you think, how, like, is that true? Like, mm. when the stuff they say and if that's about that's true, Warner. that makes it even more fascinating. Like, which, but almost then, almost given the press that's come out since the movie dropped Mm. means that the film could be even more genius than like like (laughs) even more it could be genius if
1: if just see what i mean we'll have to let's put it this way it would be very interesting to see what um lana wachowski or the wachowskis do next um and who it's with and how much money they get given to do it (laughs) um yeah,
0: I d- yeah I, 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 no, it's not a spoiler, so I'll, I'll, I'll sort of say what I think. I'll kind of give a little bit more context to that for people who haven't seen it, but I really don't want to like ruin it for people who want to see it, so I'm going to be careful of what I say. There's basically, there is, a, there is as Jamie said, there's a line when they talk about Warner Brothers, and they effectively talk about the fact that, that um, a company are making somebody do um, a sequel to something that they don't want to do, and that they kind of don't have a choice to do, to do it or not. And that they feel like they have to, so they agree to do it. Which is super interesting in a film coming 20 years or 25 years after an orid- uh, the original, and obviously you're watching a sequel to a trilogy and you're like, hold on, if you're saying you don't want to do this, but you're being made to do it, talking about the Matrix Resurrections um, now, not the in-game thing, uh, sorry, the in-movie thing, then then the news that's been released since saying that The Matrix Resurrections is a flop and that they've effectively cancelled any sequels that were in the works for further Matrix films, if that if part of the point was because Lana didn't want, or the Wachowskis in general, didn't want to make any more of them and they have crafted a situation whereby they can make a film which was, would appeal to diehard fans, you know, like myself, but um, would mean that they didn't have to make any more, would be um, like I'm I'm giving them far too much credit I'm sure but that would be pretty incredible if that was uh, something yeah. they managed to pull off I mean
1: it, there's a lot of ways that stuff can be interpreted and but it but the, fa- the fact that it exists in the form it does is it like I said it's fascinating um I even just I even think that some of the the early integrations of more okay this is then progressing the matrix formula and not like putting philosophy to one side this is the matrix law being now expanded i was interested in that because i'm interested in matrix law um but i felt like some of the locations they went some of the characters that return i felt like like there's one character who returns so essentially just to make a joke like they 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 are they a major character that returns for one scene and their return amounts to a punchline that they make at the end which in itself is a weird like meta reference to everything else that's going on in this film very odd um and some of that stuff kind of lost me i also just thought that like there were certain characters that i can't tell if i thought that they were mischaracterized or miscast right there's a fine line there's one character in particular who i was like I understand the need for this presence. I don't understand the need for... I, did, I don't necessarily understand this casting or this kind of like this direction that they've taken it. And that meant that as it hurtled towards, again, what felt like a, a frustratingly formulaic final third relative to the first third, uh, some of that stuff started to fall apart for me. But I'm glad it exists. Um,
0: I am as well. I'm, I'm glad it exists as well. There was a, did you get, I got strange vibes of like uh, Free Guy, Ready Player One, and another movie that I can't think now the name is of. Uh that weird I had weird vibes of those as well. And I did think that maybe since the Matrix, all the other films that have come out that have kind of touched on similar things, similar theme themes, um may have may have almost like you know, it's hard to then watch a fourth Matrix movie and go, Oh, this is kind of referencing some of this or it's copying this a little bit and then you have to think well no it isn't it's actually copying itself it's just that those other films have copy of used elements of it which and they're newer so they're more yeah. fresh in your mind so it kind of makes you think it's less original than it really is and, the, but, yeah, and I then yeah you, know, I,
1: you I, also I get you also get from that and again i think we could talk about this because we had these conversations prior to the release of the matrix resurrections like what is a film or a story about um about the reveal of the fact that we are actually living in a, some kind of a virtual world or some kind of simulation in the context of the Matrix, in a world where the Matrix exists. And it's like we joked before, many months ago now, that if someone came and, to one of us and said, oh, my God, we're actually all living in a simulation and machines keep us in pods and use us like batteries, we'd all go like, huh, what, like the Matrix? Like the most genius thing the creators of the Matrix could ever do is create a world in which the Matrix exists, and it yes. all get you get into these weird meta layers of that stuff. And yeah, like, I, and I, I think that's yeah. Like compared to like a free guy, like there's all. It's almost like a, a zombie, the, 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 like the zombie film issue, which is that the first thing that everyone does in a zombie film nowadays is they go, "Oh my god, like what's going on?" When the reality is like the second a zombie outbreak started happening, we all go, Oh, there's zombies. zombies. Like you destroy yeah, their so brains true. or they're going to eat us. It's a zombie. Yeah. So like, there's an element of like, like f- films or media that touches on simulations. While we- when we all have seen things like the matrix that we're like, Oh yeah, it's a, it's a simulation. Like, you know, you might be wired in somewhere else or you can bend or break the rules because you know, the matrix kind of taught. Talk- so to then have the matrix be able to do its own meta stuff with things that it a I, don't, I don't know. That's why it's more interesting to me than, say, like a, a free you, guy.
0: You've just reminded me of a, a zombie film that kind of does the same thing The Matrix Resurrections does, and I can't now remember the name of it. Um,
1: oh, yeah, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure there are some where they're like,
0: None the of second it
1: happens, they're like, oh, zombies. I've seen it. Yeah, like, we've been making movies about these things for
0: years. Oh, but it, but it does that, but it also does the thing of uh, talking about the script of the movie in the film.
1: Oh, wow. I remember one film that did that was...
0: um Bill Murray, Adam Driver, uh, Tilda oh, Swinton.
1: Oh, that's... Uh, the only, no, not Only Lovers. Jim Jarmusch something film. It. It's a Jim Jarmusch film. It's really good. It was not uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, is it? Something
0: like that. Love... No, no, it's not that. Only, um, it's the name of a song, because it's the name of the song is the title of the movie. And in the film, they go... <laughs> Oh, so this, you've heard it before, because it's the title track to the film, and <laughs> it's like, did, what did, what did they Driver. just say? I, the dead don't die. Dead don't die. Yeah, I it, really is, it is a Jim that. Jarmusch film. I really enjoyed the dead don't die. Mm-hmm. It was one of those what I didn't think I was going to. I thought it was going to be too weird, and the cast is incredible. So I'm like looking at this cast
1: now, and I'm like, my eyes are watering. Like, what the oh, fuck? the cast,
0: the cast is. I mean, if you haven't seen it, dude, you need to see it. It's incredible. But it has like self-referential stuff. It, I swear that if I remember rightly, it says like, "Oh, there's zombies," and it, the people know what a zombie is. It's it's a weird film, but it is a it's a film I I thoroughly recommend to people who like you know that kind of weird weird sort of movie. I think you'd love it. I think you'd really okay. It.
1: Um, it's the Matrix Resurrections of zombie films, says Alex um, Jones.
0: <laughs> but then it, it, it was interesting for me because oh, I went to see the res- Resurrections with my wife, who doesn't remember the original trilogy that well. And and was never that as into it as I was, and she did not have as good a time because she was like, "Who was that person? Why were they doing that? I don't remember this person from whatever. What was this whole scene about?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. If you haven't, you're not like into the Matrix. Then you're gonna kind of think that."
1: I think that there are. I think uh, I identify someone who's into the Matrix, and I think that like if you and I like both sat down like after this recording. Have now you know two weeks removed from having seen the film, and broke down our, how we remember. You've already mentioned it, like the character who is essentially the new Morpheus, like who or what he is. Like I remember what the film says, but I. It's a very. It's strange.
0: Was yes, yeah. Oh no, I'm
1: not, even even wanna, even some,
0: even some,
1: like the even Jonathan Groff's character, let's say in this film, right? Like it's strange. And there are parts of it that I get, and there are parts of it that I probably need to watch a video about or read the Wikipedia. <laughs> do
0: you know what? It's one that I would love to see the director's uh, commentary on, like uh, sure on a DVD, or something like that. That'd be great. Sure. Um, I do have to because re- one thing I didn't understand, and I haven't really seen it that many places. And I'm assuming that is just that my good old friend. Jeremy from the Quartering it just loves to put this in the titles of his of his videos. Oh God! He- I know oh, okay. every, everyone hates everyone hates the fact that I that I still listen, watch the Court but I do. What can I say? So he did a video where he basically says the Matrix Resurrections flopped because it was a woke disaster. Oh,
1: because it went woke and so subsequently it well, went broke.
0: Was yeah, exactly. <laughs> it went woke, it got broke. I but then I was as I watched it and after I watched it, I was genuinely like, I don't, I don't see the why. How you can say this has gotten woke? Like. Like, what elements of it are woke? No. Oh,
1: yeah, I like, agree. Like, there's nothing. Oh, well, okay.
0: There's nothing that jumps out Okay, at me like, oh, this is. Well, again, like, gone. There
1: are, I, I have an idea, but it's, I definitely cannot bring it up because it's no. some, one of the biggest spoilers of the entire film.
0: The one thing I think you're referencing, that I wouldn't even <laughs> say that. I wouldn't even. I agree.
1: don't think that counts as going woke.
0: No, I don't either.
1: Well, I, I think, think in fact, I think they take the piss out of themselves somewhat in the first third of the film. Where, put it this way, like one of the things that the um, the Wachowskis have have got attention for over the last handful of years is in the like. Lots of people have had, come up with different ways of interpreting the Matrix and what it might be an allegory for. And popularly, it was an allegory for like religion and you know the idea of like the like, a prophecy foretelling the return of the the, the one. And a ship called the Nebuchadnezzar, and so on and so forth. And one of the things that happened a couple of years ago was the the Wachowskis, who have both undergone, um, who are both uh, transsexual and both now uh, women. They came out and said, actually, like a lot of the Matrix is an allegory for that kind of change and the journey of self-identification and finding out who you really are and and your purpose on uh, the purpose of you and your life and on on this planet. Um, And some people were like, well, this seems a bit. This seems like you've gone on a journey of change and like gone back to the Matrix and a, you know, a, yeah. gone, you've gone in reverse retrospectively order. Like tried yeah, to exactly, retrospectively, yeah, you've exactly retrospectively. That's the word I'm looking for. But there's a scene again, not spoiling anything, but there's a scene in the first third where like <laughs> there's there's like a lot of different characters who are there almost for comedic effect, and they're all kind of like uh, reminiscing about something they they they're they're they're, talk, they're they're talking within the matrix about something else the way we would talk about the film the matrix and they're all talking about what it means to different people and they joke about the same things that we joke about in real life like oh it's actually all about religion and then someone else will go oh no it's actually all about you know self discovery and identity and then someone else will go oh no it's actually all about the action scenes yes. like they're playing it for laughs but those so Going love to my original I point, of I thought it felt like good. there's a self awareness to the potential woke elements of the Matrix. Yes,
0: no, I, I apologize. I,
1: I butchered that sentence because I did all <laughs> that pre- preamble and I was like, I can't say any of the words I meant to say here because
0: they're all spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I think if, if, if out there, if you haven't seen it and you have any interest at all, I'd say see it. Don't maybe go in thinking it's going to be another Matrix, like it's all about. Kicking people and shooting stuff and guns and all of that. It's, it's, it's definitely, I'd say maybe even rewatch the original trilogy is not probably a bad shout um, before you go into this. Mm. Um, but going from one sort of series that has come back to life and has had a new, uh, a new one come out in the franchise, let's move on to another one because we have both played um, Metroid Dread, um, since yes. the last podcast as well. And for me, I don't know about you, this was my first uh, Metroid game. I've never actually played a Metroid game before. Um, I've played Metroidvania's like to some degree. Like I've never—it's never been a series um, style that I've been uh, massively into. But like I'm sure a lot of Nintendo Switch fans out there, I was sort of hungry for more Switch-based content. Um, and so this seemed like a, a good, a good game to pick up. On the Switch.
1: Mm, yeah, I, um, I wanted it for the same reason. So what
0: did it, your have you played have you played a Metroid game before? Or are you into Metroid in general? So uh, I have
1: only ever played the Metroid Prime games before, which take a lot of that Metroid DNA and some of, some of the kind of the principles of Metroidvania game design, but obviously apply them to a first person shooter right. framework.
0: Um, and I played so, the
1: first two of those, um, the Metroid Prime and uh, Echoes.
0: And I would, with this, I will say with Metroid, the one big thing I really want to talk to you about with this, and uh, and I even put a poll on my Twitter about you know about this, is because one of the things that um, happened to me with Metroid was I read a load of amazing reviews before I went into this, and I saw a ton of incredible reviews, um, you know, from different game uh, journalists and, and outlet outlets who were sort of saying it's a nine out of ten, it's incredible, you know, it takes the Metroid formula and it brings it up to date in an incredible way, blah 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 blah. So I was. I was really excited to play a game that got that well reviewed, um, especially my first sort of dip into that into that franchise. Like I said, never played any Metro games before, um, and I wasn't let down in the sense of I had fun, I enjoyed the game, I finished it in. Uh, it was only like a t- I think it took me ten hours to complete, um, but I, you know I did it in like a week, so it's obviously something that I wanted to sit down and play. Um, mm. And it does have, it's got a cool loop. It's it's. um it's a great Switch game. Like, I think it is a very good Switch game. Agreed. But when it comes down to that, like the way people talked about the game, the way people reviewed it, it does kind of baffle me a little bit. Um, because I just... I can't in my mind put together a 9 out of 10, in, like, amazing visuals, great story, uh, you know, great mechanics, brilliant gameplay, amazing level design, which are all the things that I've seen people talk about. And put all that together, and go. Oh, so it's a nine out of ten. It's a ten out of ten. It's a five out of five. Like that to me is surprising, to say the least. Um, mm. It it was it was good in that I felt like I was playing like an old school game that had been brought into the modern day with fancy visuals um, and more. You know, maybe more thought into things like. So there's some cool elements like the, the cutscenes that are like almost interactive, which I haven't I haven't really seen that in a game before, where it doesn't explicitly tell you. Oh, you can interact in this cutscene, or you can like keep shooting, or you can do whatever. And it kind of took me by surprise at first, but I thought it was quite good. It's pretty seamless as well, woven into the game. Yes,
1: um, yeah. Some cool like action shots as well, like where Samus will just pose for the camera as something cool goes
0: <laughs> on around her. Yeah, but I don't know. But all in all, like, I what did you? Well, yeah, what did you think? What where? What are you thinking?
1: About the game? I, I mean, so I'm only about halfway through, but you, your thoughts and my thoughts are kind of aligning. I never thought I'd say this, but I remember in the past you've been accused of having this sort of almost anti-Nintendo agenda. I have, um, and I think the people that have accused you of having one, um, it's been because, like, a, let's say, a Super Mario game will come out, and it will be very good, and it'll be very tight, and it'll be very polished, play very well, and be a lot of fun, and you'll that you'll go, you'll say something. It's to a the fun tune dinky of, little
0: game. Yeah,
1: and you'll say something to the tune of. But if the, if you changed the word Mario to Bob and this was Super Bob Odyssey and it had no connections to Nintendo or any of people's nostalgia buttons, I don't think they'd give this a 9.8 out of 10. They'd give it like an 8 and they'd call it very good because that's what it is. Um, and I never really agreed with you because I always put my nostalgia goggles on. And I love having my nostalgia goggles on. I love overrating Mario games. I do it. I've done did it professionally for many years. <laughs> um, uh, but I don't have nostalgia goggles for Metroid. And so yeah, like there are people who have come out and given this a a ten out of ten or and you know close to perfect scores and Game of the Year awards and um. Like, I I listened to a podcast in the last couple of days of someone who was adamant that it was a near-perfect game for them in terms of what they want. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't align with what I feel about Metro Dread. I just think it's very good. And I I think it's good because it's, again, like, for all the reasons you kind of usually go to Nintendo. Because it's tight and it's fluid and it's cohesive. And you can tell that it's made by people who have a very strong... Understanding of the fundamentals of game design in terms of like the rollout, whether it's the rollout of new weapons and new items, or whether it's like map layout or like the kind of the breadcrumb trail that leads you from one place to another. I know you got lost at one point, but like I yeah. for whatever reason didn't get lost at that same point. Like it felt, uh, I I have problems with it, but they're problems that like that are more with the the game butting up against what I want from this game, not what it is. I don't know if that makes sense
0: no i I completely understand I think I know i I, did, I got lost twice actually um but I think the part of the problem with that is one of the first times was quite early on when I'd got to a new area um so basically you take shuttles or lifts in the game and it will take you from one little small mapped area um which is kind of feels kind of open it'll take you to another area like might be above you or to the side of you or whatever mm. um, and I got to a new area and I think I I moved through a couple of rooms. And then effectively got to a dead end and couldn't go anywhere. and was like, okay, like, Oh, what am I supposed to do? So then kind of backtracked, went back and thought, Oh, maybe I'm not supposed to go in the lift yet. You know, maybe that I go back and I'll get some, uh, um, other items and things. Um, yes. And, but it was wrong. So basically the, I just needed to shoot a block with a rocket and it would have revealed that actually oh. that block meant that you could have broken that block. And, you, and then that was the first time. And I actually looked up online. I was like, am I being really dumb? Where'd you go? And it sort of said, mm oh, yeah, you it's because you need to... Where these breakable blocks are that you can't break because you don't have the right weapon, next to them a few blocks over, there's another bit where you can break them and then you can get through and you can progress. And I kind of thought, oh, right, so this isn't an open world... Hu- like Sorry, a hub world game where you're supposed to kind of export one area um, until you've exhausted that area and then move mm. on, blah, blah, blah. You effectively follow a linear path through the game Yeah. Um, in kind of hub world sections but it's still pretty linear, and then the game directs you, like you said, with breadcrumbs. You flow through the game in a linear fashion, but you kind of go. The thing that kind of took me by surprise, and maybe it's because I haven't, like I said, played many of these games before. The game will take you from one area to another area. You'll li- you'll linearly move through that area, get to doors that you can't progress through, but then find a route back to the map, like the where you yep. originally came from, and then go through like almost like a overlapping paths to reach another area or a, a power up or a new weapon. Which will then lead you to another lift or a, a, a shuttle that will take you to another area, and then you can then open doors that you couldn't previously open. Yeah, and I it was that kind of backtracking element and and going you know multiple way multiple um, tele uh, teleports or transports or whatever to get to uh, different areas and different maps that you'd already been to that kind of threw me a little bit, and I thought, am I supposed to be playing this like an, a hub world game where I, when I get the next um, power up i go back and i go all the way back to the first area mm. the first hub and i do all the bits that i couldn't do with the new weapon and one of the things for me was i found myself thinking i can't be bothered like it's going to take me too long it, it changes toward the end of the game because in the end of the game you can kind of move more, much more freely obviously through the entire map
1: but right because there's teleporters as well as elevators and
0: there are teleporters elevators and yeah like little Uh, shuttle things, but then Hmm. what I mean is once you've got all of your power-ups, you can destroy any blocks you want and you can kind of move much more freely across entire levels, whereas toward the beginning of the game, you can't do that. You would have to have followed the linear path all the way back to get to a certain area to use a weapon to get through a gate and I'm like, I can't be bothered with that. And then I'd have to go to a shuttle to go back to a teleporter to go and it it almost made me think with most hub 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 worlds, open world games, I want to go and explore those areas. I want yeah. to go and look around. And I didn't get that with this as much. I just, I wanted to finish the game. I was like, let me just keep, like, going. Let me keep plugging away until I can get I, to the
1: end. I felt like the game didn't want me to. And I know it's weird yeah. to kind of simultaneously praise a game for their breadcrumb trail and the sort of, like, the very subtle linearity of its design in the face of an otherwise open looking environment. But there were times where, yeah, I got a new ability and I was like, oh my God, I can think of like 20 times I haven't been able to do X yes. and now I've got the thing that lets me do X. And it's like, oh, no, you you can't go backwards. We're not letting you go back there to all the things you went right. past. You have to keep going forward to this elevator off to another. Like, you're going to get back there eventually. Like, you have to trust us that, trust us that we're going to lead you back through all the areas you want to go through, but you're not backtracking on your own behest at this point. Like, I'm sorry, we're not going to let you. Um, And that felt counterintuitive. I think the comment I made to both you and Chris was, I realized at points, um, and this was exacerbated further by two of the things we haven't spoken about yet to the game... design choices that we haven't spoken about yet um that i was playing a metroidvania style game that wasn't necessarily for people who haven't played very very many metroidvania style games and i realized that i actually wanted something like i thought back to a game called shadow complex that came out in the 360 got over a decade ago now and i was like oh i actually just want like a series of interconnected rooms where i'm like just going through and exploring, and then I'm getting a ability, and I'm going somewhere else. I'm getting ability. I wanted something that was like simpler than Metroid Dread is, right. because I, and and maybe I just I'm not the right I um, wasn't the right point for Metroid. Uh, I've never played a 2D Metroid game before. Never played Super Metroid. I didn't play that 3DS one. Didn't play any of the regular DS ones like Fusion or other. Uh, didn't didn't play anything. Um, and so there was a point. Some elements of dread that I was like, oh. Maybe this game wasn't actually meant for me. It's not that I'm not enjoying it, but like, I can see why hardcore Metroid heads are like, "This is the Metroid game I always wanted." Um,
0: yes, yeah. And those I, other I two elements, feeling, yeah.
1: Those other two elements, Mike, I know one of them you, you uh, ended up being very positive on. One of them was Emmys, which featured very uh, heavily in the promotional stuff.
0: The Emmy thing, I hate. I was like you, I I did not like um, at first because I found like they were a pain in the ass. You get. You get a weird ability to kill them, but you can you use it once and then you lose it, and like you, and it you know builds into a thing where you have to find a core room in order to defeat the core to get the power to take out the Emmy and I die, you know the Emmys killed me like each one probably killed me like three or four times before I took it more slowly, used my phantom cloak, snuck about and da 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 did whatever yeah. but actually um toward the the last of the Emmys that I took out, I had the only ish times in the whole game probably that I actually had moments where I was like, damn, that was close. Like that was tense. And actually was pretty cool, which is where you're blasting the Emmy in the face. its little heat shield explodes and then it stands up and then you've got to like charge up your superpower and it's like walking towards you and it's like the game <laughs> sort of oh, goes yeah. to slow motion. And a couple of times I, bl- I literally blasted them in the face when they were maybe like half a second from killing me. And those yeah. moments that I was like, damn, like that was so intense. Like I thought it was going to rip my face off. Because um, for people that don't know, like when you play the Emmy sections, if they catch you, they will kill you. But you have two chances to counter. But it's damn near impossible. I think I managed it four times in the entire game. Yeah, um, I've done it. I think I've done Emmys. it three times. It was rough. Like you, you, if you're not on point with your own countering, then yeah. Um, but the the other thing that kind of that, that struck me, and maybe this is unfair, and and I'm never that good at following stories in games. I'm much more of a, like, get me to the next bit. Get me to the next bit. But the story felt so tacked on, like, bizarre. It's the way that it, so it sets, you crash into a planet, or you go to a planet because you're like, oh, there are X on this planet. Um, We thought we have had an image of an X on this planet, which is this weird little blob thing that can take over um, uh, living things and, you know, effectively can take over, destroy entire ecosystems. So Samus goes to the planet to take it out. You arrive on this planet, you get knocked unconscious, and you wake up in the depths of the planet, right? And then you've got to work your way out. So that, to me, kind of makes sense. It's like, right, so the story is, the X are here somewhere, possibly, and I've got to work my way up, and you've got the little computer buddies telling you all the way along, like, Samus, all your powers have disappeared. You've got to go and reclaim all your powers and get to the surface to your ship. That's fine. Yeah. Like, I totally get all of that. But then it randomly just seeds in these bosses that it doesn't... The, the bosses, effectively, are just local fauna. Effectively. They're not X. They're not, like, um, enemies. They're just yeah. animals that happen to be kicking it about that you get to fight, and they're the bosses for like sixty percent of the game.
1: True, Which true. They with, with other weird, with other weird hooks though, because then there's one boss that is essentially just fauna, but you, yeah. then you kind of it's kind of implied that you fight them again after they've bought their body's been like recouped and they've been like rebuilt. So it's like who's rebuilt? Like the planets alive? What? Like
0: oh, but this is. Uh- I'm trying to think which, which one you're, you mean. This is when the X rebuild them, the little jelly blob things. Because uh, they like, take them over and then they come back and then they, make, they, they build them again and they rebuild themselves. Do you mean yeah. those dudes? So no,
1: I, bit, sorry, yeah, go for it.
0: Was, I was just going to say, so then, then I was like, okay, then, the, then you have to fight the X as well. And I'm like, that makes more sense because the X are here, they're taking over the little creatures and you've got to blast the X. But then they've already been blasting the alien, the, the, the fauna anyway, who just happened to live on the planet. Yeah. There are random huge boss monsters that are just chained up in rooms for no apparent reason. And yes, I'm like, why am I, a why are they here? Who and then you have the people who live on the planet as well, who are the uh, the tribe I can't remember they called. But do
1: they? But do they live on the planet? Like, because again, like a lot of this, if we sound confused, a lot of this is delivered in bizarre exposition dumps that happen like once an hour. Uh, from characters that you've never met before largely do you remember what i criticized doom eternal for being large dumps of exposition that was mostly populated by proper nouns that you've never heard before (laughs) metroid dread has the same problem and it's like hang on a second i've never seen this bird before but they're going to talk at me for three minutes about everything that's going on and i've never heard i don't know the race i don't know these people i don't know i don't even really know what a metroid is beyond that it's a weird floating brain looking motherfucker (sighs)
0: Me, I was exactly the same. I'm like, I don't know what a Metroid is. I don't know what an X is. And I was like, Am I a Metroid? And I was like, Okay, no, you've got then, Metroid but then you're DNA.
1: No, right, yeah, okay. you're Metroid, you have Metroid DNA because of the things that happen in Metroid
0: Fusion, I think, which mean that the X can't infect you. So that's why you're the only one who can stop the X, because you know you have. But a, the,
1: but then yeah. like now, there's no Metroids left, and there are people that want the Metroid DNA. So there's a character who's coming to get the Metroid DNA. From you, and there are other characters that are know that character that are trying to stop him. Get are trying to protect you. To, so the
0: protect uh... it is weird. The story doesn't is non-existent, and it feels like it's all tacked on to to give you a reason to go from the bottom of the map through the other maps to your ship. That's like literally the whole story is there for that. And then it feels like they've gone right. It's Metroid. We need boss fights. So then they've seeded in these like, yeah, fauna from the planet form the boss fights. And you're like, okay, weird. Don't know why I'm fighting these giant monsters. Don't know why they're chained up in a room that obviously the other little robot people have um, chained them up. But then it's also like, but why am I fighting the other robot people? Like, okay, because so they must be working for this fella. So then he doesn't like me. So I'm fighting him. Okay. And it's just, it's this like again and again and again. And then you get the Emmy situation. And I, but I reckon the Emmys only exist in that game to add an extra element to the gameplay. Because otherwise, I think you touched on something when we were talking about this before, which is the game takes a weird uh, sort of diversion where you're playing through these, um, the levels, the, the maps. And um, it's almost, I suppose they're almost like dungeons, right? You're playing through your dungeon, you're taking out all the enemies, there's no challenge at all. Um, you die incredibly rarely to any of the uh, environmental things, any of the, the local sort of animal things that are trying to mess you up. But then you go into an Emmy section and the Emmys are like deadly. If you get, you can't take them out, you have to just run from them. They're stealth sections, which you're kind of not, not expecting. And then even when you can take them out, they're pretty tense little, um, little fights. You know? mm. I think they were tacked on just to give the game something else to just give it another element. It's what it really feels like, because they don't seem to offer any other purpose, um,
1: to be honest. It's plausible. It's plausible. I mean, all the yeah, L they really did for me is, like they were just like a weird flow disruptor. Um, and I just felt like like the weird, like, um, sort of, I think I, the way I said it to you guys, with the weird peaks and troughs that the game's right. pacing goes through just sometimes seem counterintuitive. Like, again, like, why are there so many enemies that I don't even, like, look at? or like from moment to moment because they they pose so little threat to me if I'm then going to get into like a go through a door where there's an enemy on the other side or an Emmy on the other side that kills me six times and then 10 minutes later there's a boss that kills me 15 times and like well you might be asking like why is there a boss that kills me 15 times like partly it's because I've probably fucking suck at the game or the game doesn't help because I think it's control layout isn't that great and when you're playing on Joy-Cons it's very difficult uh, when you have big fat fingers and they don't even use like the the R2 equivalent, ZR or whatever it's called the fucking 50% of the game and you're like, the biggest button the most accessible button in your entire fucking controller you don't use it, you got me holding your R1 equivalent to do the most important thing in the game like, let's or L1 rather well, L1 and R, they're both fucking important and then there's also yeah. like you get, lo- the game like fucking gasses you up loads by giving you extra health so you start off with one health tank basically, Uh, let's say it's got 100 hit points in it, and you'll find entire additional health tanks so that even by the time you're at my point in the game, I've got like 500 hit points which like say so five times what I started with. It's like, well, hang on a second. There's no point in you giving me any of this if I'm fighting some stupid fat dude underwater who shoots out these blue bubbles, and if one of his tentacles touches me, I lose seventy hit points. If you scale the damage the bosses do with the amount of health you're giving me, you're not giving me more health.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that's a little I, I think by the time I got to the end of the game, I think I got fifty percent of the of the items in the game, and I'd um I think I had. About I want to say I had like fifteen uh, of those little health blocks, and I, I made it couldn't be that many. Maybe it's like ten, but I had a yeah. lot of health. But it's it took me most most of the bosses in the game. I'd say were actually not that like they weren't too bad. Like I, I, I I'm I, struggling, bro. By the time I got into the flow of how they work, I was okay. It was like the first sort of time you inter, you come into contact with a certain type of boss, you're kind of in trouble. But then after you kind of get it. You can, and there are, but there are two bosses that took me. One of them took me like ten to fifteen goes, which was the big, weird, like mutated X thing, which is um, uh,
1: the guy that's chained up and shoots like lasers down. Uh, the chain, the guy that's chained up above you, not the guy that's chained up to the side of you.
0: Yes, yeah, the guy's chained up above, and you he's and like,
1: it, he's like Experiment X, something or other. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah.
0: Right. So he took me a decent. Because part of the problem with that was. The, the double jump is infuriating because it's a yeah. timed jump that you if you double if you double tap it it doesn't double jump you have to tap it and then wait and then tap it, but it also only works if you're already spinning so if you jump up directly, you can't just tap it again you have to be jumping to the side and there's a section where you have to be running and then he fires like lasers across the screen at you and you have to jump then you have to jump then you have to, jump, you have to like double
1: jump oh right yeah, yeah, and yeah I've, I I've, would
0: just miss hit the timing on the double jump and Bro. I'd get hit by a laser and get pushed back into the wall and I'd lose all my health and I'd be dead and I was like this I'm, game is trash <laughs> and
1: then, I'm, uh, I'm never finishing that final boss I can tell
0: the, fi- the final boss was annoying because I had to I got to a point where he, co- he wasn't doing any damage to me. He w- or the damage he was doing I would recoup in uh, health that I would get from him by doing damage to him but the right. problem was I didn't realise that I ha- you have to do a counter to him um, it's not like so in the other bosses. There's kind of a whole bit where, um, and to be fair, he's similar. But they'll they'll fight you, fight you, fight you, and then they'll go into a big move where you it almost means like a cutscene. And then there's a an indicator to do a counter. And if you do the counter, you go into an extended bit of the cutscene, and you kind of move into the next phase of the boss fight. He doesn't really have that. The final boss basically fights you, fights you, fights you, and then he'll stop and do this. He'll go ha ha ha, and wave at you. Right. And at that point if you run at him and hit counter, you can enter into a little cutscene and you can move on and if you shoot him loads, you can move into the next phase. I didn't realise that so I would counter him and often, if you're not still running when you counter, you just don't engage with him and you just, guys just start fighting again. I fought him for like 15 minutes and I was just oh, shooting yeah. him oh, and well, I wasn't I dying and he, was, and he was just shooting me and he did this haha ha a few times and I was like, what the hell man? I'm running at you hitting counter, nothing's happening and then we just carry on again. I did the same thing, you know there's
1: an underwater boss and it basically, like, it mostly resolves to like shooting this bull sack that he's got like above his head and avoiding these blue bubbles that he shoots out. Right. Um. I didn't realize that you have to shoot the button next to you to lower the water enough that you move quickly on the maglift from one side of the boss to right. the other. So I did that just like the oh, I'm gonna shoot out my bubbles and occasionally whip you face like half an hour just without dying. And I was like, every time. Yeah the the lift appears i ma- i i fucking lasso up to the lift and it i don't move across in
0: time like what am i meant to I, I think you're that you're absolutely right when you say if you're not someone who plays that sort of game it's there there's stuff you just don't realize oh you know
1: you know there's a there's a a, a character in the a, a thing you fight in the game it's more of a mini boss than a natural boss it's like one of the first when you fight one of like the, the soldiers from that tribe yeah um and they have an attack where, like, it's a big slash attack that kind of glows red, and you like, it's like, "Hey, get out of the way of this." Um, and one of the ways that, like, you're meant to get out of the way of it is jump or like uh, ball jump or whatever. And then you can do this kind of like dash kind of, and you can do it in the air, and you can spam like two or three of them in like one thing, even though it uses all your all your energy at once. And I found it so hard just to jump over this guy. And this is a right. character that I already know from research that I have to fight two of simultaneously later
0: on. And this one guy killed me about 15 times. And he's a right. mini boss. So, so the weird thing about this is, and this is one thing I actually looked up, and I found a few people having this discussion, even, and, and I, I don't know if it's true or not, about adaptive difficulty. Because I definitely felt in this that I would fight one boss a few times and be like, there's no way I'm going to defeat this guy. And then on like the, maybe like the fifth attempt, sixth attempt, I would just beat him hmm interesting and i was like hold on i was like I, I haven't suddenly gotten that shitload better like has the game artificially made this easier or does the, do they not use certain moves that they're like oh you're dying a lot to this move so you know they're going to tweak it i didn't feel it with some bosses i didn't feel it with all of them um I, some of them like they were so predictable i would say there was no adaptive difficulty in it at all because like you can almost know what they're going to do next um but some of the, like you said, some of those are uh, like the soldier bosses and things and the, the little shield guys and that. I, I did kind of feel there was a bit of an adaptive um, difficulty thing going on because I would fight, yeah, a few times and then suddenly be like, oh, okay. As for the two ones, I will give you, I'll say, don't worry about it. They are nowhere near as difficult later on yeah, when you've got more health than, and you t- I, I took them both out because you have to fight two of them twice.
1: Oh, great. Uh, and I know there's sh- also like an advanced one with the shield there the there is more than
0: one okay great and there's yeah. there's one, there's one that with a shield that you can destroy the shield at least and there's another one later on in the game where you can't destroy the shield and he is well annoying when you first face it like he is super like he is damn tough yeah um, but but the if there's no adaptive difficulty then I will give the game um a lot of credit for the fact that it must have just been how much i played it that yeah. my ability got that much better and my pattern recognition, even without me knowing, got that much better, that I was able to take out, like, by the time you get to the end point of the game, you're at a point where you can take out the final boss and he's easily the hardest, I'd say. Like, he's got yeah. so many moves, he's so many, like, so many variations and I think on my final go against him, I, it was. you know when you just feel like you're in on a flow with with, in a game and you're like, I'm on yeah. point here. Like, he didn't touch me until the final phase, I think, and he only hit me like, two or three times he was killing me every time and suddenly I was like I was sliding under him every time he tried to like slide across the screen and take me out I dodged all of his stuff I counted all of his things I did it I think I put him away in about like you know six minutes or something which was like the best I'd done or the quickest I I was on two to get it done and it definitely gave me that feeling of you're getting better at this game like the bosses those fights were cool I just wish the whole thing had been packaged better with the story I wish I hadn't have felt as kind of frustrated with the layout of the levels and the way that it made me feel like I don't really want to backtrack. Can I be bothered to backtrack? And I was running across one way to get a power to run across another way to get a power to you know I just found some of that stuff a bit dull. And then I'll I'll quickly wrap up because people are bored of this. They actually touched on a few things which I loved, which was they rather than do the now you've got this power you can go and get through that door that you couldn't get through before. Cause when they've done that 10 times it's kind of annoying. They then introduce a whole thing where, like, the actual uh, environment changes, and they have different reasons for it changing. So, uh, the scenery would get damaged, and then you can like blow off bits of the scenery, and you can progress like that. Um, which is not something they've done up to that point. There's a bit where part of level freezes, and it wasn't frozen before, and it changes the layout of the level. And because there was water before, that's now frozen, you can now run on top of it, and which means you can progress. And some of that stuff I really liked. I thought, this is how I would have preferred the rest of the, the most of the game to progress with um, much more innovative ways of uh, leading you through that environment. Um, but I'm sure people are insanely bored when I was talking about Metroid. But it must be good because we've talked about it.
1: Yeah, I've got good news for people, is that if they are bored of that conversation, or any of the conversations we've had this week, just wait till Chris is back next week and is desperate to talk about the Matrix Resurrections and Metroid Dread. That's the Super Show guarantee, is that if something's <laughs> worth talking about, it's worth talking about three times. What, <laughs> twice? No, some, But there have been things in the past where it's like, oh, I played this game that you've both talked about each Oh, the, right. Like, yeah, yeah, we've, yeah, yeah. We, we need that. but that's one of our bad habits but there we go i'm sure uh chris a man is, at
0: yeah, least i'm we're sure we'll bring s- something new to the table at least we're not going to chat about marvel avengers <laughs> for a lot this year true actually that's well uh, done uh, and dusted uh, i think yeah i'm not
1: even going to make a comment otherwise it will count as a marvel's avengers discussion and we'll have broken our oath
0: oh right i was, even even spider-man couldn't save marvel's avengers um but of course, Jamie, Spider-Man with Marvel's Avengers was exclusive to the PlayStation. And do you know something else which is going to be exclusive <laughs> oh, to the God. PlayStation? How have you fucking...
1: Okay, I'll, you, I'll let you get away with it. Tell me.
0: It's the PlayStation VR 2 because it has Ooh. formally been, uh, been announced. Not announced, sorry. has been... Almost showed off, showed off in in silhouetted terms. Um, well, not even
1: so, we don't even know what it looks like. They just basically said, "Oh yeah, it's this is what it's called."
0: Well, they they're controllers they showed off, kind of. They had, yeah, um, we've seen them. We had some uh, some controllers shown off, some um, VR sense uh, controllers. Um, so yeah, obviously we knew that the PlayStation uh, VR or the Mark II of PlayStation VR was going to come out because it was announced last year um but the name for it has now been announced and it is called PlayStation VR2 and the new controllers which are going to go with that are the um VR Sense PlayStation VR Sense controllers I think I'm getting that right
1: yeah sense controllers what do you think of those names by the way PlayStation VR2 and the Sense controllers
0: VR2 I mean yeah like it's just sticking a number I like I don't mind I don't like it these days when everything has to have a special name like um rather than just go two, three, they have to like put some weird or they just call it the PlayStation VR. <laughs> that would have <been> bad. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm so fine with two PlayStation
1: some VR Requiem. Yo, yeah, oh, please, no. Maybe. Um,
0: but sense controllers, yeah, I think it makes sense because they've got the dual sense for the PlayStation 5 and they've got now they've got the Sense controllers for the um VR. Yeah, why not? Um they are chatting some big numbers though because VR two um, boasts 4K HDR, OLED, um Panels with a 110 degree field of view, roughly in each eye. Um, so a very tasty offering.
1: Yes, um, I looked up the uh, original PlayStation VR just for reference because sometimes these numbers can all kind of blur together. And field of view, not that sim- uh, not that dissimilar. It's around 100 degrees, so only a slight improvement on field of view. But I will say that the resolution per eye on the PSVR 2 is basically double the original um right which, so so
0: i, I said for, i did say 4k per eye i mean 4k so per eye you get yeah half the width of the 4k roughly and you get the height so it's 2000 yes. by 2040 pixels which, per eye
1: i think the original was like a, a 1080 panel a 1920 by 1080 panel that was split but you know then per eye kind of thing so in this is basically double the resolution per eye on a per eye basis
0: oh hold no this is more than that because if well, you have 1080 panels split that would obviously be let um, me let
1: me find out i was just looking at it i probably have said it wrong though
0: no no you're right because it would be 1920 divided by 2 would be about 1000 pixels wide per eye and this is 2000 you're right it's twice
1: it's two times yeah basically yes it was like uh, you know i've i've got the exact same thing here the previous one was 960 by 1080 per eye so this is basically double right resolution okay. per
0: eye Um, it's also the hdr and it's also oled so that's not just, you know, a jump in resolution. That's also a jump in tech, which is going to make the colors more vivid. It's going to look um, nice and shiny all over. And they've also talked about talked about foveated render, rendering, um, which for those that don't know is where it renders the images that are directly in front of where you're looking uh, in much higher quality and fidelity than it does other stuff, which allows them to render better pictures all over because they're not having to render the entire scene. And then you kind of like, just look around the entire scene it it, only renders much more high quality where you're looking um Mm. so you get obviously you get like smoother action better frame rate much better picture per eye as well um they've also got uh eye tracking which is um they say is going to allow them to have um, eye control inside of games which means that you can actually use where you're looking to convey you know um, so, if it, well I suppose either actually control things in the game or to use eye line and things to convey well, emotions and things in game that's the thing um,
1: like when I'm playing a VR game multiplayer if the people around me if their pupils don't move in unison with the re- their real world pupils then my immersion is totally killed like I need to know not just the general direction you're looking at I need to know what your eyeballs are looking at and <laughs> I'd like <laughs> to say a
0: big thank you to PSVR 2 for allowing my dream to come true The first thing I thought was they're going to people be able to see when I'm rolling my eyes at them. (laughs) Like, (laughs) That is true, actually. (laughs) Which is something you don't necessarily want.
1: It's only going to get creepier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, They've also got uh, um, the way they're doing the motion tracking this time, if I understand it rightly, I have to correct me, Jamie, if I'm wrong, is that they have cameras in the controller, cameras in the headset, and the two work together to um, know where they are in reference to each other, which means that you don't need outside cameras. So you don't need a camera right into your... Um, on top of your TV or next to your PlayStation or anything, which sounds uh, pretty cool.
1: I didn't mention it um, in the catch-up because I didn't have much to say that wasn't necessarily new in terms of a hot take, but um, my brother got an Oculus Quest 2 for Christmas. So I spent a couple of hours in VR over the Christmas period, and the Oculus Quest 2 is... Uh, not only a completely wireless and self-contained device, but it also uses that "quote unquote" inside-out tracking to do VR with no, you know, light boxes or cameras or anything like that around the room. It just it just looks at the room and it's like, oh, that's where you are relative to everything else. So that's where you are in the game. Um, how how did you find it? It was I mean it was the best VR experience I've ever had. Oh really. Uh, Okay. Yeah, but you've got to remember though that like I've never had a go on a Valve index. Um uh I my VR experiences have been limited to I think I spent a little bit of time in a PlayStation VR, a little bit of time in an HTC Vive, and a little and a good chunk of time in an Oculus Rift. So most of my VR experiences grounded in three or four years ago. So to jump to a headset that, like I said, is completely self-contained, completely wireless. Um and uh has that kind of that tracking that means that you're just like a standalone VR experience, it was quite effective. And even like, so I played Hot VR, I played the Oculus exclusive Star Wars story thing, um, Vader right. Immortal it's called, and I even played some job simulator. And I'll say that it ran smoothly. You know, I didn't get any of the issues you might get from having everything sort of like, you know being processed and rendered within the headset itself um it was a very solid uh, tracking experience like compared to the PlayStation VR for example like night and day like no skipping no weirdness no nothing at all everything felt like it was flawlessly tracked and even like like in terms of visual quality no screen door effect which i've definitely had before so for me it was kind of the simultaneously sim- simultaneous thing of jumping forward three or four years in terms of how long it's been since I've experienced VR tech firsthand. And also, it's a complete standalone unit. I was just in the middle of... A li- I walked around in job simulator and I've never done that before. Like I walked out of the cubicle and started walking halfway down the office. because. Oh, I was wow, in, okay. I was at, well, because it was in... Um, my dad lives in the countryside and obviously there's big, there's big empty spaces um, in, even inside the house. And so all you do is make a safe zone where it's like, oh, there's a sofa here, and the Christmas tree's there, and there's a table here. And as long as you're not about to walk into something, nothing happens. You're not
0: wired to anything.
1: You just walk.
0: Which is quite funny, because obviously when they made something like a job simulator, they were assumed, oh, well, it's going to be limited by the... The valve was the biggest area that you could walk around in. Sorry, the valve yeah. um, was the biggest area you could walk around in, which was like maximum like three by three meters or something. Right. So they didn't assume that you could, but they probably, I suppose, didn't put any constraints on the fact that you could just walk around the whole thing. No, yeah.
1: And, and yeah. I will say, like, it is surreal, <gasps> for the first time in my life, in VR, walking, even if it's just, like, 10 to 12 feet, like, walking and having that movement be represented one-to-one in VR, that's why it was the best VR experience I've had in my oh, life so I far. Oh, was so,
0: whenever have a go. I've not, I haven't had a go Well, I mean, two yet.
1: It, it, to, 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 at the moment, 200 pounds and a big room are your you know, the, your, that's your barrier to entry, which is a hell of a lot
0: lower than it used to be. I think, is it, is it not more than, is it 200 quid? Is it not more than that? It's probably more than that, I don't know. I think it's a bit, I think it's a little bit. more. Um, Shall I have a look? I, look it up?
1: Uh, I was, I'm doing it as well. I think there's different sizes as well. Um, but it's, it, yeah, apparently it did well over the Christmas period, the Oculus Quest 2, and I'm kind of not surprised. All right, um, so
0: you can get a 128 gig version for 300 quid.
1: 300 quid, okay, yeah.
0: So, wh- blimey when you consider that you can either choose between getting an Oculus Quest 2 228 gig or you can choose between getting in, like a 2 terabyte expansion for your PlayStation 5 which is about 300 quid if you want to dip in and get one of those hard yeah, you know, 300 one those quid's one of those weird price it's a,
1: it's the same with the Nintendo Switch like 300 quid's one of those weird price points where it's like that like opens up either a whole new avenue of entertainment or it's something like pretty mundane for I mean we need stuff like that for work but again, yeah, I, I I forget which headset you've got and when it came out, but like I was, I've I got was, the
0: Vive, I've got the first Vive, yeah.
1: I was imp- I was impressed with the Quest too, and I can see why people are picking up. And like again, it was the thing that I always wanted to, you know. I, I remember when the the Vive and the the uh, Rift were first coming out, and having that dream of like, oh, what would my mum look like in VR? And I I had that this year with my dad because and this sounds so stupid but it was like my brother would be finished with it he'd put it down he has one of these chargers where you just drop it in when you wanted to play a game in vr you walked up to this headset you picked it up you put it over your eyes and you're you're in there's no wires there's no setup there's no like there's no pc there's no like, the launch is built right. into the headset like everything's just there like the get the gap between you going from 0 to 100 is putting the headset on and I think that's that made made me realize how important that is to the future of VR. Which bring it back around to the news story, the fact that the PSVR two apparently connects to the PS five in with one single cable. I believe it might even just be a single USB C cable. Like I think that's important for the PSVR two as well. It's like ease of use and ease of setup.
0: I I do. I I still think that I'm I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit not not like annoyed. I don't know which word to use. I'm a little bit perturbed by the fact that it's still got a cable connected to it because I would have hoped by now they could they would be able to make that wireless. Um, I do think that's a big issue with headsets. Like I've got, like I say, I've got a, a one of the first Vibe, and there is it's still annoying to have a, a wire coming out the back of your headset. It would have been yes. nice if PlayStation would have been able to sort that out but the fact that it's only one cable like you say and if it's only one usb c cable yeah. and if you get a really long one then you know that maybe that will be okay but yeah. now that they're coming up against these not even that expensive 300 quid right if you're talking about getting a quest 2 um completely wireless i do think it would have been nice to see it wireless but you know we, yeah. can't, we can't get everything with the uh, next iteration i suppose no
1: um, and there's and you know it means the software battle gets to kind of continue on because you know Facebook and Oculus are now investing in exclusives, continuing to invest in exclusives. And Resident Evil Four VR was a big quest to exclusive. And Sony now the ball is in their court to say, okay, you know, unlike Facebook, we actually own shitloads of developers. We even acquired some of our VR developers. You know, can they make yeah. the the software argument worth a while? Which they kind of did with PSVR, but not fully.
0: No, and um, well, that's one good thing we got. We got to sort of got. I can't even talk. We got a bit of a teaser on is because they did announce that there is going to be a uh, PlayStation VR 2 specific game coming out um, for the PlayStation 5, which is uh, Horizon Call of the Mountain, which I think is Guerrilla Games and Fire... Sprite. Fire Sprite, thank you. who have got together to make that. Um, We didn't get to see much. We got a very brief little teaser of Aloy, it seems. I'm guessing Aloy um, riding in a boat Uh, As one of those huge, like um, mech dino things, walks over the top of her, Um, and I'm guessing that with the, I actually I don't know, I don't have they said whether the PlayStation VR is like a seated experience, VR two, or question you can move around. I don't
1: believe they've said. Um, They have the 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 VR place. The first one was certainly something that was designed to be that for people who wanted it. Right, right. If you wanted to sit down, you could.
0: Yes, I think it, that seemed to be the main implementation for it. But this, the tiny bit of the trailer we got to see it was like an on-rails thing where you were in a boat. I don't know yes. if that will continue through the whole thing or whether there will be sections you can move around in, but the idea of getting to explore the Horizon world in VR is something which is really exciting. I, like just, I love the fact that they use that really tall like, mech dino thing like l- miles above you, walking over you, because I imagine to look up at that, and, you know, see yeah. the trees and stuff is going to be pretty exciting, So. That is pretty wicked. That's so cool. That is. There
1: there were also rumors. I mean, and rumors are rumors, but they uh, came up a couple of days ago that uh, Sony were. I don't know if they're confident or if they were actively trying to ensure that Half Life Alex will see a release on the PlayStation VR 2. And I've got to say, as someone who is still very jealous of uh, anyone who got hands on and probably like the single most. Enticing narrative experience that VR has produced yet—that uh, is really exciting to me. And like the idea of like a PSVR2 Half-Life Alyx PS5 package, like I could see myself—I as someone who doesn't own a VR headset—I could really see myself going for
0: that. It's, no, you're right. Um, I'm I'm I am someone who should have played more of Half-Life Alyx, and could play more of Half-Life Alex. It's just. I don't know. I got a bit of like VR fatigue in the end, where it was the setup yeah. and getting everything ready. And like you said, I think the thing these days is if you can just put the headset on and use it, that'll be a, me- a game changer. Because getting like plugging in your lighthouses, getting all the cables out, you know, making sure your ha- your handsets are all, like up to date stuff is a bit is a bit of a ball leg when you have to do that every time. Yeah, totally. Uh, the, the the sort of the first iteration. Um, unfortunately, we don't know quite when it's going to be out. The um, PlayStation VR two, I think. Um. I'm trying to think if I've heard any rumours. I don't think there have been any rumours about it. Well, I think we can maybe, given the fact they're talking about Horizon, um, we could guess that it's going to be out maybe toward the end of this year, maybe like holiday holiday time. um,
1: I don't think that's an unfair guess. Like, I think if they announced it in February of last year, they said, hey, this is happening, and they've chosen January to come back and be like, this is it, and these are the final specs. Like, if you know your specs down to a T, then, like, I presume we have got some idea of like your path through to manufacturing, um, right. and then you know how manufacturing to shipping and so, and so on. Like it's not out of the question to connect those dots and end up with a 2022 release. In my opinion, I agree. No,
0: I think that would be I think that would be quite a good sort of release for them as well. You don't know I mean because they don't want to wait. They don't want to wait too long that the tech starts to get like you start to talk about what's the Quest Three look like or whatever right. it's called the um, uh, the new Meta headset that no doubt they'll release which is gonna glue glue onto your face and you're gonna take
1: off that's the thing the thing about the quest is that oculus and subsequently facebook slash meta like they're in now they were saying to my dad like they want a future because my dad is obviously slightly older but still you know has a job and is in business and works with people who are a lot younger than him and he does a lot of like startup stuff and i was like they want a future where when your uh, co-workers want you to go to a meeting they want you putting on one of those headsets like your kid and sitting at a virtual table next to your virtual co-workers in the metaverse with your little avatars waving at each other
0: you know i was funny i had this uh, not argument i had this discussion with my auntie like, a few years ago where i was about five maybe six or seven years ago and i said that's the future of like business. It's going to be people in VR having meetings. And she like mm-hmm. does a lot of meetings and stuff with people. And she was like, That's rubbish. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Is you can't, it's not the same as meeting face to face. And I was like, It's the future. It's going to happen. Yeah.
1: Um, oh, and then mysteriously, a thing that's come, a, a mysterious virus arrives <laughs> that stops us meeting. Hmm. How convenient for meta.
0: Yes. How convenient indeed. Um, so. PlayStation VR 2 sounds like it is nearly finished, which is pretty cool. And something else which is nearly finished, apparently, is the Last of Us remake, um, which should be releasing in 2022, uh, if you believe industry insider Tom Henderson, um, and also some other um, sort of little leaks from uh, VGC who have said that they've they've been told the same thing, which I think would be quite surprising. That would be pretty wicked, though. You know, I'm, I'd be keen to play that, that um that remake as early as in, um, this year, which would be pretty awesome. Um, yeah, Naughty Dog have uh, led development since they wrapped production of Last of Us Part Two to make the the remake and get it out there, which you know you'd hope, wouldn't you? Yeah, one to ones making the remake. Well, the there,
1: was, there was that other weird studio, like the, the PlayStation Arts and Motion Design. Like, there was a whole story that, because Jason Trier was the one that outed the, the fact that this existed last year. And it was during that big piece about all these different PlayStation first party studios and how they were putting being put on different things and people weren't yeah. happy. And um, so, but did, the, 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 yeah. Didn't
0: they pull you... the. I might be getting my wires crossed. Didn't they pull the some of the Days Gone team to work yes. on the uh, Last of Us remake? Which was yeah, because they were pissed off because obviously they wanted to do, um, they wanted to make Days Gone too. They were annoyed the fact that they didn't get to because yeah, the, the Days Rearside. Gone
1: devs, Sony Bend, they were definitely involved in the right. story. Yeah. And then there was this other team called like the Sony Arts and Pictures Moving Pictures Group. I can't remember, they had some silly name like that. And they were like an extra studio that like helped out with stuff and wanted to make their own big thing. And I think they pitched a ground-up big remake of Uncharted and that got rejected. And then it got turned into a pitch for a remake of The Last of Us, which was greenlit, but then kind of like take, slowly taken off them. And people got moved on to different things and people at Naughty Dog needed something to do because they were like we shipped a game, but you know, Uncle Neil's going to take like another 18 months to get his next idea ready, so yeah,
0: They ne- needed that breathing space. Um, yeah. So you actually get quite wow. a chock year for uh, Last of Us, because obviously we've got um, the remake, which is like I'm saying, apparently nearly done and should be coming out this year, 2022. You've also got the HBO series, which uh, yep. is supposed to be dropping this year as well, and also we've got the standalone multiplayer um, factions, which is not Well, presumably factions, which is not too far behind the release of the remake. Apparently, so that could be a pretty chocky year for, um, yeah, uh,
1: for the Last of Us. Yeah, indeed, it would make sense for them to get their ducks in a row, right? To kind of like, you know, let everything thrive off the success of everything else, and also, maybe this has just been me being cynical, but it feels like there was some there there was a lot of heat around the Last of Us Part Two. You know, Just that's, that's 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 not controversial to say. Everyone knows that. And one of the parts of this rumor is the idea of a Last of Us 2 director's cut, which makes sense given what happened to Ghost of Tsushima and Death Stranding. But I feel like, especially with the role Neil Druckmann played in some of the controversy, the idea of the Last of Us 2 director's cut being a standalone product is like you're almost putting that game in the crosshair, almost unnecessarily. Right. But Imagine if, if the you're...
0: director's cut drops and all of the Abby stuff is gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what he cut, yeah. That's what he cut. <laughs> and he comes I like out that. and says, I never wanted it anyway. I like it's, that it's idea. It's 12-hour game.
1: But the thing I was going to say is if you have that director's cut and the Last of Us remake and the faction's multiplayer mode, which is probably going to exist as a standalone thing too, and the HBO series kind of like all happening at once, do you just get like a big wave of well I was gonna say the last of us kind of like excitement, but then it also might be the last of us sort of tedium as we realise actually we're all getting really excited about the last of us because it's back, but there's not that much that's new here other than the, a TV show in a multiplayer mode. So
0: I, I it's it's funny because I don't think I would I don't think I would venture out to the director's cut of Last of Us Two. Like I probably what my favourite game of all time, possibly. I really, really enjoyed that. I thought it was fantastic. Um not a perfect game, don't get me wrong, but really, really enjoyed it. However, that having been said, I don't think I'd want to venture back into that. Like, I've experienced that story, I had a really good time with it. I don't necessarily think I need a director's cut to sort of jump back into it. However, the remake of The Last of Us, I think, is something that I would be keen to sort of um, to have a go at. It is a little bit of a weird... It's a little bit of a weird thing these days when remakes coincide so like rapidly after the original. I mean, not maybe... Not yeah, I agree. Quickly, but... It's, it you know going from resident evil 1 to a remake is a great remake because it's such a sp- pat span of time the technology has come on so far etc cetera, etc cetera. going from obviously last of us which wasn't that long ago to going to the last of us part, uh, last of yeah. us remake does seem like it would be a bit odd but it's still something i want to do it's still something i yeah. want to be involved in. Um, it's like yeah i think it's it it's longer than i think most people
1: realize but it still doesn't quite feel long enough. Like, if this I, year would be I nine guess, years.
0: I was gu- okay, I was going to guess eight. I would have said about eight years. So nine yeah. years, okay. So but it still doesn't feel, yeah. Feel- the game type as well, like the type of game it is, I think it's not like you can take a 2D game, make it 3D. It's not like you can take a linear game and sort of make it a bit more right. an open world kind of game, or you can, you know, do a lot with it. It feels like it's going to basically be a remaster, but one that looks incredible because it's actually a remake. Yeah. I can't I think, imagine they do too much to change that game.
1: No, I, I, I completely agree. And look, I, I don't know how many um employees Naughty Dog currently have. I just tried to look it up and see if it's on their Wikipedia. and I, I couldn't see it there. But I remember reading Naughty Dog and around the development of Uncharted 4, I believe it was, were the subjects of one of the chapters in uh, one of the, Jason Schreier's books. I think it was the first one, Blood, Sweat and Pixels, where he looks at different studios and the development of different games and kind of Essentially, in a lot of, in some of the cases, it varies from chapter to chapter. But what went wrong, or what went right during development, and how things could have been improved. And he talks a lot there about that idea of like the the chain of command and how that negatively affected the development of Uncharted 4, and how well the QA can't people can't do anything because the gameplay people couldn't do anything because the animators couldn't do anything because the artists couldn't do anything because Neil Druckmann just rewrote the whole scene. You know, something like that. And <laughs> right. no, that's not me putting hate on Neil, Neil Druckmann. But, you know, there's there's a, there's a flow chart to game development. And if shit changes at the top, then people are stuck at the bottom. And they would run into a problem where, like, work would get thrown away because things were being changed. Um, especially right. because, I don't know if you remember, but, like, the, the Last of Us team kind of took on uncharted after the success of the last of us and amy Hennig right. left the company and all that stuff and that's when druckman became the de facto everything naughty dog guy and not just the last of us guy there is a part of me that wonders like okay the last of us two finished we've got hundreds of employees a lot of them might not have anything to do for months depending on how long things take what can we get up and running on really quickly that doesn't need that much oversight from a creative director or even just a regular director or a writer because the fundamentals, the blueprint is there and also isn't really a risk because even if it goes wrong or people aren't that excited about it, it still can't go that wrong. And I think the Last of Us remake ticks that box where like yeah. you can't re- – you could fuck it up technically – as we've seen happen a couple of times this year, like it could be a technical disaster, but it probably won't be because Sony like to pump money into things and delay things as long as they need to be delayed, which is good. Um, it can't become a bad game because it's a remake of The Last of Us. It doesn't need to be written because it's written. It doesn't need to be directed <laughs> yeah. because it's directed. It, you don't need performances. You don't need to get anyone into the motion capture studio edit again because it's all done. And even if it comes out and people are like, oh yeah, but it was only nine years ago, you probably still sell a million copies and you're like, oh, now we've just got 500 employees and animators and artists and uh, whatever who are way more familiar with the PlayStation 5's framework and can make an even better looking game next because they've just popped their cherry on the PS5.
0: Let's go again. You might also, I suppose, have with the assuming success of the HBO series, you might have, a, um, and obviously with the PlayStation 5, more units coming out and things, you might just have a whole load of people that have who were five or six when the original came out who weren't interested or couldn't play it totally. who are now. Who are now like, I've got a PlayStation 5, I'd love yeah. to play a really good, um, uh, uh, game on that. Like, yeah,
1: the, um, no, you're right, absolutely. Nine years it isn't much for us, but it ages in a lot of gamers,
0: it really does. It really does. Um, so, well, you know, hopefully they don't mess up too much, and hopefully it is all of a, a lovely, rip roaring success for them. I'm looking forward to the HBO series as well, I will say. I. I it could be a complete mess, but it could also be really good. So, you know, I'm I'm hopeful. Um, we touched briefly on uh, Days Gone um, and talking about Sony Bend and obviously the involvement they've had where uh, they sort of got co-opted to help make um, uh, the remake. But they are, have been shown that they're still a little bit pissed off with the entire situation that they had off the back of Days Gone because, of course, the sequel to Days Gone that they were planning um, got... Uh, not even put on the back burner, just got debinned by Sony, I guess. Yeah. Um, they just sort of said, no thanks, we have no interest in doing that. Um, so recent news has annoyed them, obviously, that Sony and Sucker Punch have been celebrating the fact that Ghost of Tsushima has sold over 8 million copies. Um, because, of course, Dave's, uh, Days Gone director Jeff Ross noted that when he left Sony in 2020, Days Gone had already sold over 8 million copies. So it's a little bit of a um, a kick in the teeth, I guess, to you know, have Sony and Sucker Punch Sort of patting themselves on the back and saying, "What a roaring success! Uh, a game is that sells eight million when they'd already done that over a year ago." Mm. <laughs> Bless. So he's not—he's not, he's not too impressed. Um, I think he also says there's been an, an additional million copies on Steam, which would obviously push them up to more like the nine million um, figure. <laughs> um, so is this just him being a Mister Bitterbottom, Jamie, or do you think that uh, um, this is fair enough?
1: I think it's a bit of both. Um oh, bloody fly! Like the the uh, there's one comment he made where he said local studio management always made us feel like a uh, it was a big disappointment. I don't really know what he means by local studio management. Whether like it was a thing of like were they removed from like the kind of the California hub and that made oh. them feel like some weird extension of Sony that like was the ugly duckling. I don't know.
0: Um, I definitely I, remember getting the feeling that they were that it was like you, they're a bit of a failure. Yes well because i think it's
1: because again like whether this is right or whether this is wrong is is up for debate and these comments have reignited this debate but like i think that there has to be more to a game than how much it sells selling a shitload of copies doesn't make a game good selling a shitload of copies doesn't mean a game needs to come back or 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 have be or given be given more rope or to have a sequel uh the weird thing is, though, that Days Gone wasn't a disastrously bad game. It was a game no. that the game's press, in some cases, ate alive. And I think increasingly over the years, a lot of people have come to think, like, actually, why was it that harshly criticized? A lot of its ideas were derivative. A lot of its ideas were old. And a lot of the jokes that people made when that game was first announced about, oh, it's The Walking Dead meets, uh, what's that, called? Sons of Anarchy. Like, right. It's like, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, and a lot of it's, you know... Like, his ideas about open world game design weren't that interesting, and it was uh, too long, and it had a lot of characters that weren't very well written, and uh, had very um, disappointing arcs, let's say. Like, it's a game that had something wrong with it, but at the same time, the fact that it was made out to be the poster child of, like, the first party game that went wrong, and that, like... Horizon Zero Dawn and God of War and Spider-Man and eventually Ghost of Tsushima and for some reason even Death Stranding to a certain extent get to kind of like sit around in a huddle and laugh at Days Gone while it kind of wallows in its own self-pity in the middle of this weird like ring of bullies it did it it does seem a little bit egregious I don't think it's that bad and I think maybe there should have been a Days Gone too. maybe they should have been given another shot Um, but at the same time I think it's Sony's plug to pull, and if Sony cares about yeah. uh, like game reception, if Sony cares about Metacritic scores, if Sony cares about how long a game took to develop or how long it cost relative to how long it should have taken how much it should have cost, then again, they're the only ones that can make that decision. And like, I'm, I'm, I, you know, without sounding too harsh and nothing against this Jeff Ross guy, but like, you know head of studio behind cancelled game, you know, gets angry it's not a headline, you still have clowns on YouTube like David Jaffe who like, makes a new YouTube video every day that in some way shape or form is just him taking out his vitriol at the game industry that left him behind um, like, and, and I'm not suggesting Jeff Ross is one of these guys, but like, this is it's the way things go I'm sorry you made a game that people liked and people want a sequel for and you're not going to be able to make a sequel for But like, that's just the way. That's the I don't know. Like, there is just the way it happens. Like, I'm not saying it shouldn't have had one. It's just I don't
0: know. It's I. I, It's fun. It's interesting when you talk about like Metacritic scores because we've known for years that they've had a thing where it's like if you don't hit a certain score, Metacritic, you know, you don't get bonuses. You don't get this, or you don't get um. You know, our contract is only fulfilled if you get a certain score. Um, and whilst I don't on the face of it i don't like that in some sense like i don't that does seem pretty harsh because it means like it doesn't matter how well you do how good your game is it only matters about the zeitgeist it only matters about what the critics say at the time your game is released and there are loads of reasons why your game might hit you know a 75 as opposed to an 85 and and then that means that you you make nowhere near as much money as a studio and you you know might not fail but maybe it feels like a bit of a failure to you because you didn't get where you were supposed to. But at the same time, I can understand Sony's uh, if they have an, like an idea that they need to protect the quality of their first party, software. Um, and if a game like Days Gone, if they feel like it is, like you, the things you said, Jamie, if it's derivative, if it's not pushing the boundary, if it feels like a little bit phoned in in certain areas, I can absolutely understand why they would say, look, it did well, it sold well, um, but it is not a game that we want to see another like uh, happen yeah. again. We yeah. we're happy with one of them, but we want to draw a line under it and we want to move on. And we think you've got a great team. We can reallocate. We can use in other areas. Um,
1: yeah, because uh, you just made a very good point. Sorry that I didn't. It, like yes, we're not getting days gone too. But like Sony Ben didn't shut down. They didn't get like no. t- two hundred people didn't get made redundant. Yes, they temporarily got moved on to a project. They didn't want to get moved on. But they, but we now know Sony Bend have moved on to another new IP. They're working on a new game for the PlayStation Five to be published by Sony. Like it's not, it's a, it's a sad ending for you know people who want to do some weird Zack Snyder shit where they you know masturbate furiously over something that never existed. <laughs> but like the bigger picture, it's not a sad ending.
0: It's interesting. So I was just I was interested I was checking out the uh, Metacritic scores for um, Ghosts and Days Gone. Like so, Ghost of Tsushima is, is on an eighty three um uh critic score and a 9.1 63. user score and uh days gone is a 71 meta critic score and an 8.4 uh user score so they're not like by no stretch is days gone like being called a bad game mm. annoyingly it's that weird thing of like people see a 71 and they go oh, it's average it's, that's not average that's good that's yeah. good that's what you should take from that that is a good game um I do think, like, when you look at *Sunlight like Ghost, not only was it a critical success, it was also a commercial success, and that's it's, that's a double, double header, whereas you've got something like Days Gone, which was might have been a commercial success, but it wasn't necessarily a critical success, so whilst it's hit one of those marks, it hasn't necessarily hit the
1: Um, hmm.
0: But yeah, I mean, so this, uh, uh, Jeff Ross has said that he thinks it's weird that Sony decided not to back a sequel, but. You know, I, I think it, it kind of must make sense with them and it's obviously something they've decided to do. I, I think the idea that some people might have, like a bit of a conspiracy theory, would be Sony don't want to make a Days Gone Two, even though they know it would be a success, because reasons. Like which I don't know what the reasons are, but yeah. Um it does seem like that's kind of what some people are alluding to. Um yeah. which would be madness. If Sony thought they could make a Days Gone Two that was a commercial success that people loved, that did really well, they'd make it. Obviously, yes. there are reasons why they've decided not to go for it.
1: We, we all, whether it's because of microtransactions or season, or even fucking NFTs, like we all pretty much unanimously agree that publishers like to make money. And if they, they can do. make money, they will. Like, you're, you're, I completely agree that like, there's more going on to a store. Like, Sony don't just arbitrarily decide to not make a game that is guaranteed to sell 10 million copies. Because why wouldn't you make a game that's guaranteed to make ten million copies? There are other forces at play, and they're forces that you know determine the kind of the kind of catalog that they want to produce, and the kind of games they want to release, and the kind of experiences they want to promote. And Days Gone, and subsequently the plan Days Gone two, didn't fit that. That's just the way it is.
0: It is. It's the way the cookie crumbles. And do you know what the else? The cookie do you know what else is the way it is, Jamie? That. At the two-hour mark, when we've finished all of our news stories, it's time to uh, put a plug <laughs> in the uh, in the podcast.
1: Perfect. Um, they thank should you. Have, they should have written IGN a bigger check. That's actually my final takeaway. It sucks to be you. Should have been. You know. Wow. Think, you
0: know, it's a simple routine.
1: We all know how the games industry works. Write a bigger check, get a better review. Simple as.
0: That's as simple as. Uh, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled on our channel because we're making a game and it's going to get a ten out of ten. Because we're gonna write a fat yeah. check, it's gonna bounce when I try and catch it. But yeah.
1: uh, I've already slept with six different game critics, so I'm feeling six? pretty. Yeah, exactly. I, well, I'm, uh, there's a bit of going the extra mile. Going on. I'm not gonna say who I'm kind of like, you know, battling against, but a bit of one-upsmanship going on. I'm, I'm actually gunning for the world record for games critics slept with. Finding Kotaku a bit of a tough nut to crack at the moment, but I'll get there eventually.
0: Uh, I've heard they're all into feet, so maybe just wear some sandals. Thongs, as the Aussies call them, and uh, okay, and, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, wiggle the toes. There's so many jokes that I'm
0: having to resist the temptation to make right now, um, but um, <laughs> yeah. I think all that's left uh, for me to do is to remind everybody that um, you can catch us on YouTube and Twitter. If you want to drop us a comment, you can put it below our YouTube video, or you can reach out to us at Twitter at Super Show Pod. We're also on podcasting platforms. If you are watching this right now and you want to listen to it. Or if you're listening to it on a podcasting platform and you want to watch it, head over to YouTube. Um, PaisleyRadio.com, uh, and that is Thursdays at 10 if you want to catch our pseudo live. Uh, and if you miss that, you can always catch it again the following week, Monday at 10pm. And if you would like to join our um, very exclusive <laughs> Patreon, head over to Patreon.com and become a patron. Uh, that is patreon.com forward slash super show. You can get onto the Discord for as little as $2. We've got some extra content. If you um if you are in the $5 tier or above, you can check out some old school videos that we made back in the day, some behind the scenes stuff. We've got um a few uh spoiler casts on there as well. And of course. The thing everybody wants to see it is known murderer. another episode, hopefully mm. be should Should we do a
1: matrix uh, a matrix podcast? Do you think people actually want to watch that, or do you think it would just be for us
0: <laughs> I think it would be for us, but i I want to do one because it's annoying to kind of go oh. I can't, we can't talk about
1: this. I I I really wanted it to be a cultural phenomenon where everyone on our Discord was discussing it. And it's like, it turns out, the film has been out for two weeks. I've seen one person in our movie (laughs) channel be like, yeah, I watched The Matrix. I didn't like it. That's it. Oh, maybe a spoiler cast
0: isn't for Uh, everyone. Let us know in the comments, if you would like to, uh, Jamie and I, because Chris has said that he doesn't think he'll be able to see it for a while. If you want to see Jamie and I do a spoiler cast about The Matrix Resurrection, um, let us know in the comments. I think the only thing left then, Jamie, what are we going to use for our code word so people can show that they stuck with us to the two-hour mark? Uh,
1: what Good you question. Good question. I don't know. I mean, what did we do that was funny? I feel like that's the question I have to ask myself at the, be- at the end of every episode. Um, I, don't, I don't remember making any many jokes this week. I think that's the, that's the dilemma I'm currently stuck with. Do you remember any jokes we made?
0: No. We could it's just early, ask early question, the question, we could
1: ask we could ask them a question instead then
0: i i'm yeah i'm always game for a question
1: um one question that i'm curious to know the answer to this doesn't have to be the actual thing it can be an additional addendum to any comment that you like to leave is um how long do you think we're going to talk about metroid dread again next week
0: Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, stick the time down. Stick how many. And also,
1: I like the idea. Don't give any context. Just write the answer in terms of the amount of time. Don't say what your uh, the time applies to. So, I like the idea of Chris listening to some of this podcast, not reaching the end, not knowing what the comments about. <laughs> so he'll just see like, why has everyone written like sixteen minutes and twenty four minutes? And then next week we'll
0: find out that is that is perfect so yeah drop your time down below how long do you think we will end up talking about metroid dread again um next week uh so thank you very much for watching jamie thank you very much for being here and um, chatting with me and we will see you next time
1: thanks for having me bye